This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 373. And the quote of the day is by Mike Myers, who said, at any time, I still expect that the no talent police will come and arrest me. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for checking this out. This is episode 373 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. You can find all of these on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all that fun stuff. And if you haven't already, just please leave a rating or a review. That helps the podcast show up higher in the search results. Let's everyone know that this is a legitimate program. I mean, it's not really a legitimate program, but you get what I'm saying. A quick note about social media. So I combined two social media accounts. I combined my at Drummers Resource account and my at the Nick Ruffini account. I did this on Instagram and I did it on Twitter. The reason why I combined them is two reasons. One, it was getting a lot to manage the two. And because I was, and well, there's three reasons. One, it was getting hard to manage the two. Two, because I'm the only guy who's running the social media stuff anyway, so everyone sort of already knows that it's me. And three, I'm talking about the same stuff on both platforms. And if I would take a picture with a drummer or there would be something music related, I would always think, hmm, do I post this on my personal account or on Drummer's Resource? And I know that the Drummer's Resource audience would like it, but I know that my audience would like it. You know, And some of the people who follow, or a lot of the people who follow Drummer's Resource also follow me and vice versa. So I didn't want to duplicate content and all that kind of stuff. So I just said, let me just combine them. And all the content that's on there is still going to be music related. It is going to be behind the scenes stuff with Drummer's Resource. It'll be anything that'll help you and add value to what you're doing as a drummer, as a musician, whatever it is, as, you know, as an artist, whatever you're doing. So if you are not already... If you were already following Drummer's Resource on Instagram and Twitter, you're fine. But if not, you can just go to The Nick Ruffini and you can follow it on there. All the stuff, all the Drummer's Resource updates will be on there. And the same thing with Twitter at The Nick Ruffini. The reason why it's The Nick Ruffini is because someone stole Nick Ruffini. So it's pretty stupid that I have The Nick Ruffini, but that's another story altogether. So that being said, please do me a favor, follow the Nick Ruffini on Instagram and Twitter, also known as Drummer's Resource. So let's get into this conversation today. This is with Josh Freeze, and I don't think that Josh Freeze really needs an introduction, but for those of you who don't know who Josh is, he's currently playing with Sting. He's been with Sting for a long time, but the list of the people who he's played with is so long. I'm going to, I'm just going to scratch, I'm not even going to scratch the surface, but I'll give you a few. Nine Inch Nails, No Doubt, Sublime. Perfect Circle, Devo. I mean, the list goes on and on. It, there's, you know, he's been doing this for years and years. So uh, we could be, we could be here for hours just talking about the people that he's played with. So we recorded this at his house in Long Beach. We got to hang in his studio and had a really great conversation. He was very, very warm and welcoming to let me into his home to have this conversation. So I hope you enjoy it and let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with the one and only, the legendary Josh Freeze. Have you ever been to Disneyland? I haven't. You've never I've never been? been to Disneyland or Disney World. Neither. Dude, I've been to Disneyland about fucking twenty eight hundred times. <laughs> I was there yesterday. Oh, uh, you got, but you like grew, I grew up, in, up there in Disney, right? But I fucking love it. I'm, I'm literally, dude. I'm such a Disney fucking freak. Right. Well, okay, you got a Disneyland sign there, but I'm not one of those guys. You see some people in there. Here's my house. They have a Disneyland room and shit. Like right. I'm not that nutty. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? I've got, okay, I got one stupid right. sign there, but it's not like everything's Mickey Mouse and fucking. But yeah, I did grow up there. And then like by the time I was you're, fifteen, I never. Your dad, like your dad. My dad did all right? the like, charge of the music there. Yeah. Here <laughs> though, save this Here, we are. No, we're recording. So we're, oh yeah. We're, so <laughs> we're just, so it's it's happening. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, my dad, when I was, you know, when I was born, he was working out at Disney. He opened Disney World. He was conducting the band out there in Disney World. And then he got transferred to Disneyland in Anaheim when I was still crawling in diapers. So I, I consider myself a California native in the way that I've lived out here since I was an infant. Right. But uh, I'm taking, I'm pulling, they can't see what I'm doing, but I'm taking my, pulling my gold chain out because right. that's what I do for my interview. No, I'm just taking it off because <laughs> I can hear it jingling. And then, well, I'm going to put my gold chain on. <laughs> it's um, my, it's my Mr. T uh, starter. There you go. So, so yeah. go ahead. So you grew up, so you're a Disney. Yeah, so yeah, he grew up, I grew up near Anaheim because my dad conducted the big band. So I grew, I grew up going to see music out there and, and watching the big band every weekend. And then, you know, by the time. I was in first or second grade. I was running around there every weekend with my friends, and everyone's trying to make friends with me at school because they, you know, make friends with Josh. You'll take you to Disneyland for free. <laughs> and so we go to Disneyland every weekend. And by the time I was in about seventh grade, I started playing drums out there in a top forty band, in a cover band, and played five sets a day out there every weekend when I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and all through the summer we played three, four nights a week. And uh, yeah, and then by the time I was 15, I never wanted to go to Disneyland again. I was like, oh, my God. Give me yeah, a I'm so to tired Disneyland. I never want to go again. But I'd have to go once. So at this point, my dad no longer conducted the band. He was one of the guys in charge of the live entertainment out there mm -hmm. and kind of hiring and firing musicians. And uh, so I didn't go out there for years unless I had to, unless there was some function where my dad said, hey, you got to come to this thing. They're giving me this award or this or that. And then when I started having kids, I kind of rediscovered it. When you're finding things to do when you're now a, a parent and you go, right. oh, cool, Disneyland's only... 12 minutes that way. My dad at the time still where he recently retired. But I started going out there and I kind of started appreciating it in a different way, looking at it in a, in a different way and, and appreciating the, the work and the detail and the quality of things and, and Walt Disney's story. And, and then I just, I'm almost a weirder fan of it now than I was when I was a kid, mm -hmm. you know? So I actually, uh, I just started reading the, the, Walt, the book about Walt Disney's Which life. one? The dark, um, not the Dark Prince. No, it's, that, that's uh, one that I want to read eventually. That's one that tells a bunch of weird dirt about him. I was going to yeah. say because there's like there's two sides to the story yeah, with him, right? The, that he was sort of like I mean the guy was a genius, right? And, right. And and now you know companies study how Disney works and people sure. send people there for training and all sorts of stuff so, because of their customer service and everything, and they create this this vibe of like. And they they call the people who work there. They don't call them employees. They call them cast members and right, everything, right. right? Cast members. Yeah. So. But then there's the other side of it where they're like he was kind of he was like a little weird and and like kind of dark and, and yeah. mysterious and you hear that you know and and I've you know I don't know I don't know enough and haven't researched enough other than I've seen interviews of people that are going hey man all it takes is one person to say hey he was an anti semite or whatever and then everyone goes oh my god yeah you, know, you hear about it. Walt Disney right yeah he's a weird Nazi sympathizer it's like I don't know if that's true or not right I really don't know right and right, right I've seen enough interviews of people that work closely with him and family that go that's insane to say that. Right. Right, and then there's other people who go. Well, I've got proof, and I, you know, I don't know. I really don't know, but uh, but the, the the story, I don't know. His whole story is pretty inspirational. What he, how he built that, especially thing. because they were, you know, everyone said that he lacked imagination and all this other right, stuff, yeah. and then he's like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna start yeah. this this whole thing. Yeah. Um. So, but so when you were when you were growing like when you were growing up, what was your was your dad a drummer or was he a conductor? No. Well, he was conducting the Disneyland band, and but his 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 main acts uh, is the tuba. 
right? And so he played tuba, but he kind of, he kind of had, there was kind of everything around the house. There was guitars, there was trumpets, there was a, a piano. And then I caught wind that there was a drum set in the attic. When I, so I was around this music right every weekend. And you can see there's pictures of my brother and I. My brother's been a professional musician his whole life. Mm -hmm. And there's great it's pictures of my player. brother. Yeah, yeah, keyboards and sax. And there's pictures of us when I was four and he was two. And we're, we've got fake plastic band instruments. We're sitting out with a Disneyland band in Town Square at Disneyland, like, you know, lip syncing, right. you know, so to speak, with the band and just into it, hanging out with these musicians and pretending to play instruments. And, you know, there's pictures of me when I was three or four years old with, you know, drumsticks beating on pillows and stuff. But I really... Didn't really take an interest to the drums full on until I was probably, I think I was either seven or eight. I was probably about eight. And saw that we had a drum set in the attic. And uh, it wasn't just a drum set. It was a Yamaha recording series drum set. It was a pretty nice, nice. drum set. I didn't know that. At the from, time. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know the difference between that in, in pots and pans. But I was like, oh, wow, there's a real drum set up there. My dad had some relationship with the people at Yamaha through their horns. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and they'd give him a drum set for real cheap or something. So I was sitting up there and I asked them if I could bring it down and they magically said yes. I was like, oh wow, that was easy. I thought they'd, I thought it was too good to be true. I'm like they're never gonna let me bring this thing down. <laughs> right, so I bring it down and I never forget my dad, like, you know, he could play about as much drums as I can play, you know, like guitar or something, kind of just play a couple beats. And he showed me and went, oh my God. And he goes, here, you try. And I sat down and I mimicked the same thing he did. And it was just, you know, it was the, the do that do do that something like that. Ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da I right. went, oh my god, I can do this. This is great. And it wasn't too far off from most of the records I had at the time, which were all rock and roll records, right? And four four. Um, so I started playing along to records and just like. What were you playing fun. along to? Like uh, the first things I was playing along to were. It's so funny because like well like you know, Van Halen, Devo. I'm thinking about like the five or six records I owned, and they were. Devo, Queen, Van Halen, uh, like maybe the Cars. I had a Cars record. I had a Police record at one point, and uh, Journey, Escape. You know, which is funny now because how your your well, yeah, your and then I go to like you know, yeah, exactly. I've played play with, with them, or... worked with Devo for over twenty years now. You know, and uh, having work, we're staying, and yeah, it is funny looking back on that, but. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the stuff that I kind of cut my teeth on, and it's just kind of it's just the albums that I ended up having. I mean, I got turned on to rock and roll and popular music by my uncle when I was back visiting family in Minneapolis when I was probably about seven or eight. Mm -hmm. I heard Van Halen one, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is so cool!" Blown and, away. Uh, yeah, and I went for it. And then I remember, you know, I didn't have an older brother or cousin or anybody hipping me to what was cool or not. But I was, I remember every day I'd walk home from school when I was in probably second grade second or third grade, and I had a little handheld like transistor radio. And there was a radio station in Orange County called the Mighty 690, mm -hmm. 690 AM. And they must have just done the same playlist thing because every day when I got to school at three o'clock, the song Whip It was on. I was like, well, what a weird song. It was just kind of, it was catchy and goofy and fun and <laughs> right. kitschy and you know, I was like, ah, oh, that's a cool song. And then I saw the video and I thought it was like, wow, is this a real band? Is this a cartoon? What, what is this? And the video, and was, it was like, the video was so wacky. Like, it was like, stop. It was like stop motion a little bit, wasn't it? No, it's them out on this dude ranch, but it's like there's this. this but isn't country Arthur, western? Other movements like oh, the the woman's kind of like that. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they they just look kind of robotic in their own way. But no, the woman is doing some weird thing, and she's dressed up in like lingerie or something. They're whipping items of clothing <laughs> yeah. off her, and there's these cowboys drinking beer and hooting and hollering. But the band doesn't look like a country band, and they don't look like guys would be hanging out, you know, on a dude ranch. <laughs> right. 
And there's the there's the cross-eyed girl with the gun, you know, and like it's just it's so crazy. It's just, it's just such a nutty video. Anyway, so yeah, that's when I went. Oh, Devo! Wow, this is really cool. And uh, yeah, so anyways, I went and then I, I just went out and got the rest of their records. But that just happened by chance. Like I said, I didn't have anybody telling me you should get this or you should get that. I just landed on whatever I heard on the radio I liked, you know. Around the same time, another one bites the dust was on the radio all the time, and I was eight years old, going, "Wow, this is cool!" So I went out and bought the game, and then heard all these other songs on that record, going, "God, this is a really great band." Mm-hmm. Then I went out and bought the other Queen records, you know. Right. Um, same with the Police. You know, I imagine you landed on these great bands, but you know, it's like the gateway, being, it's sort of like yeah. the gateway drug, and you're like, "Oh, oh, let me find," and then you start going into the back yeah, catalog, exactly. and then exactly, and then you know, I start reading Modern Drummer magazine. I realize there's. There's other music out there other than whatever I'm just hearing on the radio. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, I'm going, okay, I'm reading about all these drummers, and they all keep talking about this guy, Frank Zappa. They talk about how hard his music was to play. I should go buy some Frank Zappa records. Okay, Vinny Caliota, who's that? Okay, he's this guy. Okay, Terry Bozio, he also played. Okay, then I go, oh, my God, these guys. And then I just dove into those guys. Right. You know, and I dove, I became such a Frank Zappa fanatic when I was about... Got 11. You know what I mean? It's right. funny to think about my son who's 11, one of my sons who's 11. I discovered Frank Zappa on my own from reading drum magazines and just hearing everyone rave about Frank Zappa and how intricate the challenging his drum parts were. And so I just made myself go out and start buying the stuff. And I went, whoa, this is pretty wild. You know, and then get, oh, so this guy, he's actually, oh, it's the same dude that plays in the band Missing Persons that has hits on the radio. I should go see him play live. So my first, my second concert ever was Missing Persons. And I see Terry Bozio play. In full at Cal State Fullerton here in Orange County, and you know, and I actually got to meet him that same night because uh, my friends and I knew I knew it was general. I'd heard it was general admission, so I was like, we better get there early. So me and my buddy that went with me, we got there at like four p.m. and we're sitting, yeah, four p.m. <laughs> we better get there earlier. We're not going to get good seats. So my parents <laughs> drop us off. No, seriously, it's like three or four in the afternoon, and we're sitting there, and I'll never it was, forget. The show starts at like eight. Yeah, eight or nine, <laughs> the opening nine. band goes off. But we didn't care. We were excited, man. We're like, this is awesome. We're going to see a concert tonight. But here's how it all works. It's just like, you know, the way you're supposed to work out. So we're sitting there. We're bored to death. And we're sitting kind of by the side entrance. I took swim lessons there. So I kind of knew my way around. And uh, and this, I'll never forget this this black, it was like a small, this small little black BMW rolls up, right? And someone comes out to talk to the person. The window rolls down. It's like right out of a scene out of a movie. You know, the cool little black sports car rolls up and the window comes down. There's some guy with bright pink and purple hair. And I'm like, oh, my God, because I recognize him from Modern Drummer. And, you know, oh, my God, that's Terry Bozio. That's the drummer. And I hardly knew much about Terry at the time other than, yeah, he plays a Frank Zappa. He's really famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got this band and they're playing down the street from my house. So I got to go see him. But I'd never seen him play live. And there's no YouTube. And none yeah, of that yeah, shit of yet, course. Right. So I see where he parks. I don't say anything to him. They walk in. He does a sound check, whatever. We see the show. I'm jaws on the floor the whole time. I just, I'm going, oh my God, what the hell is this? It's when he had this electric drum kit where you could basically see him head to toe what he was doing more or less because there was no kick drums in front of him to obstruct the view. And Mm -hmm. I'm going, oh my God, it was just, it was incredible. And after the show, by that time, what happens, my dad had come to meet my friend and I to drive us home. And after the show, I go, we have. I know where that guy's car is. I saw where we he parked. The there. drummer. We have to go meet him. You know. Right. But it's so. I love telling this story because I know Terry. The, you know, I've been friends with him for years now. But it's just. It was such. It had such a huge impact on me. It was such a big deal. It was mm-hmm. such a big moment for me. And we went. And my dad. God bless him. He sat there and waited. And we. You know. Of course. I'm thinking now. I think about sometimes after a show how long it takes me to leave. Sometimes as soon as the show's done, I'm out the door. And other times you sit around. You dry off. You take a shower. Maybe eat some after-show food. You know. 
it might be two hours before right. you leave, you know, or yeah. three hours before you leave. So we're waiting and waiting and waiting. My dad reclines a seat in the seat in the car and he takes a nap, you know. I'm sitting there glued to like the exit because <laughs> I don't want to miss it. Finally walks, hey, Dad, he's here. And I mean, I don't have the picture on me. It's probably on my Instagram and shit. But I mean, and modern drummers put it in articles before, but it's like, I got this great picture of me and him, you know, after the show. And I've got That's my missing awesome. persons, my my t-shirt I bought at the concert. And and uh, anyways, I don't know how I went on. Was he cool? Was he like? He was totally cool. Yeah. My parents remind me of that all the time, too, because those guys that I met, I met Vinny at a NAMM show in probably 84, either 83 or 84. I'm going to say 84. Yeah, January 84. And, and same thing. I, he was playing at the Simmons booth. And I'm like, that's the dude from the Yamaha drum ads. Mm -hmm. And he plays a Frank Zappa. He's in those magazines, so he's got to be good. Right. So I go to watch him in the Simmons booth, crowded with people, tiny little booth. He's fucking smoke, smoking. chain smoking in this <laughs> tiny little room. It's 84, back when cigarettes were still good for you, right? And I'm going, fuck, the guy was blowing me away. I'm, I don't know how to process it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm watching it from, you know. And how old are you? 20 inches away. I'm 11 something, just 11, like, 12. And I'm just, just, yeah, just completely bulldozed over by this this energy and this and this 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 that's coming off the drum kit and this guy that's playing like no one I've ever heard before. And I, hey, and I get his autograph, and I get a picture with him, and I just start following him around, following around the NAMM show like a, you know, lost puppy dog. And he's going, hey, this kid's cool. He brings me in. Got me his Elgin t-shirt. And I, I, he was just cool enough to wear, like I look, like I said, my parents were like, hey, you can't, you know, right. don't blow kids off. Not that I do, but like, you know, remember those guys. Remember the Vinnies and the, and the Terrys and... Greg Bissonette I met when I was a kid. I took a few lessons from him mm -hmm. when I was 11 or 12. He's, such he was nice. He's such so a nice. And still to this day, still to this day, I know all these guys, you know, but it's like, I think back then those guys really were really cool to me, man, you know? And I never took lessons from, from I sat down with Terry once. I had like a real lesson with him once, mm -hmm. but it was more like this two or three hour kind of hang. It was behind the drum kit and he explained some things. And I think it all went in one ear and out the other because I was just like, oh my God, I'm getting a lesson with Terry Rose. Right. You know, I'm 13 right. years old. This is so cool. You know, and I just want to hang out with guys end up not teaching because they're like, right. they just, people just want to take a lesson because they want to meet me. Right. And they don't want to actually like, they and don't want to learn or like, all the stuff that we're going to go over is in my 17 DVDs that I sure. came out with. And, sure. Right. And mine wasn't, he, he wasn't looking to teach. Mine was through a friend uh, that used to work at DW and worked at, worked with all the drum companies. Slingerland was at Remo for a while again. And Phil Halsey that passed away years ago. But Phil was great. And all the old school guys and all the drum companies know Phil. Yeah, he was Slingerland. He was at Remo. He was at DW. And he's probably somewhere else at one point. But anyways, Phil introduced me to Terry when I was like 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. And he hooked me up with this, yeah, I went and took a lesson. I wanna say I met him up at Remo and sat behind a kit that he had set up at Remo is when he was endorsing Remo drums, right. probably in like, I don't know, 87, 88. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was awesome, I had this two, three hour lesson and I was like, I can't remember whether I paid for it or not. Well, obviously I wouldn't have been paying the money my parents would have been, yeah. but I can't remember if there was a number discussed or you know an amount, but all I remember is, well, that was really cool. That was a huge favor that Terry did for me and th through his friend Phil Halsey that mm -hmm. was kind of a, a mentor of mine when I was younger. And uh, and then years later, you know, I laugh about him. Terry, Terry's like, I just remember Phil Halsey saying this kid who's a you know really big fan of yours. And he's a gr you know great up and coming drummer, and and his parents are going through a real awful divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Which they kind of actually it wasn't. I mean, not that any divorce is is good. It's great, but not right? awful. But but it was pretty. Uh, it was civil the way that went down. To be honest, but I remember going, oh wow. So it kind of like just felt bad for me. It felt like, hey man, you got to like 
take care of this kid for two, three hours, right. man. He's going through. I'm like, oh wow, okay, well. For whatever reason, whatever it was works, great that it right? happened, you know. <laughs> but we laugh about it. Go, really? He told you that? Oh, wow. Oh, so he just felt bad for me. You're like, okay. I'm sorry, man. I, yeah, I, I just had I known. Yeah, it was a, a, a pity lesson. But, uh, but yeah, and the same thing with Vinny. People go, oh, did you take lessons with Vinny? It's like, no. But he really was great to me when I was a kid. It would get me into clubs where he played and save a couple seats behind his drum kit. So mm-hmm. it was a lesson in itself, just getting to sit, you know, a foot and a half from him over his so, shoulder when so I was why 13. You, like, why do you think all these guys took you under their wing? Do you think that... I don't know if I was because just... Because you were, like, from... from I mean, I, we're different in age, so... I Like, I don't... I, we weren't the same age, obviously, and I wasn't, like... I wasn't watching you come up, but everything that I've ever read about you or everything that anyone's ever talked about, like, you were sort of, like, this young phenom drummer, like, at a pretty early age. Like, do you think that these guys just saw that in you and were I don't like, no? Because I gotta be honest, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, yeah, I was pretty good as a kid, but it wasn't like I watched some of these other kids that are freaking nine, ten years old that are just shredding on the drums at twelve, just shredding. I wasn't shredding like that. Yeah, but a lot of those guys. I was can't, a good drummer, and you know, but and and but I a lot that, of those guys can't play pocket right and feel right you know what I mean? and that that's true and i i think that's my opinion it was I a combination to... uh, i agree with you and and there's a combination though of uh through my dad working at disneyland and uh, and me living in orange county him being in the entertainment section at disneyland somehow and and the and the yamaha uh situation he had with playing their horns i got to go to the nam show and it, it, it all stems from i think it all stems from me hanging around the NAMM show when I was 11, before there was a ton of up-and-coming great like drummers, you know, when it was rarer, right. rarer to see back then. Because uh, before, I mean, it's different now, but if you were at NAMM in the 80s, the 90s, it was like you sort of, you belong there or you were at least, right. yeah. you had, it automatically puts, gives you a little bit of credibility. Absolutely. Now it's like anybody can get into the NAMM yeah. show and, and like everybody just wants an in. endorsement, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's a mess, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know if elite's the right word, but yeah, it, it was a smaller group back mm-hmm. then and uh, of people that were there. And like you said, it was harder to get in and stuff. So you had to have some sort of connection or some reason that you were there. Um, I think that I was probably uh, persistent, and but just the point where maybe if I was any more persistent following these guys around or asking questions, I was probably almost going over the into the annoying realm. Right. But just short of becoming annoying, I was just determined enough where they went, this kid's cool. Right. Yeah, this kid's cool. And I was popping up enough. Then Vinny would go play another set at Simmons and I was right there. Hey, and I was and I was like, hey, and I'm wearing a Frank Zappa t-shirt. He's like, look at this fifth grade kid's in a like, Frank Zappa. Got, this kid knows you know what he's, what he's talking about right. somehow, you know? And cool. And then... It just worked out, man. And then I had the balls enough to ask for his phone number, and he gave me his phone number. And I'd call him once in a while, and somehow he'd answer, and he'd, you know, and and really? rap with me for five minutes, and I felt like an hour. Oh my god, I got five minutes of time with my favorite drummer. It was so cool, man. It was so really, what really would cool. You, were you just like, I just want to talk to you? Were you asking questions or like, <laughs> you know, I wish I had one. You're of those probably times. like, hey, man. Uh, I wish I had one of those conversations recorded. You know, what I think it was. I think I was looking for an excuse to talk to them. Like, sure. I mean, I was a kid, so like, I mean, I remember it was just, it, it was like having this golden ticket. Like, oh my God, I've got Terry Bozio's phone number. And he might not answer, but I'm going to call and see if he answers. And 
lots of times it'd be an answering machine, you know? Right. And, and he's probably sitting on the other end, you're going, oh my God, don't pick up the phone, it's that annoying 12-year-old again. Um, but sometimes he would answer, you know? And I remember coming home after uh, doing my paper route when I was in sixth grade, and my mom going, Vinnie Caliuta just called, and I talked to him on the phone, and you know, he and his girlfriend are getting married, and they don't have any relatives, they don't have any nephews, or and they're looking, they want to know if you want to be the ring bearer in the wedding. What? Yeah, and I'm like, awesome, I'm like, wow, and I'm thinking, Vinnie Caliuta's calling my boring-ass suburban home in Orange County while I'm coming home from my paper route. This is like magical shit, right? It's pretty crazy, yeah, it's, or, you know, Terry Bozio called how, once. How does that shit even Dude, happen? Terry Bozio called my dad's house once. I know. It sounds like I'm making it up. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. It sounds, my but it brother, does sound like. It, I was like 13 sounds, and my brother's like 11 and my brother's like, Terry Bozio just called the house. He wants to let you know he's playing a show down the street. I'm like, like he was playing in Anaheim or playing, not Nam show related. This is right. a year or two after I knew him. Um, but just, cra- it was crazy. It was, it was pinch yourself moments where you're going, oh my God, you know? And I still have those moments. Obviously, they, they, they're a little more few and far between as I get older and a little more jaded <laughs> and used to all that shit. Or just knowing those guys almost as, as peers, kind of, now right. uh, is, is pretty crazy. And, and, but, but, you know, yeah, I got to say that they were all very, very cool to me and how, had a big impact on I me. I mean, how often does that stuff happen to you? Like, do you get fanboyed or do you get like I mean do you time. go do you go to Nam a lot? I do. I, I, do you just I don't get, go, like do you just get mobbed? I don't Nam? go as often as I used to. I okay, I used to go every year, right? Loved it, grew up going there. Then I started playing at them right. and wanting to play at them and getting really excited that I was gonna play at them and, and it was a huge deal getting to perform at them and, and you know like at the booth or, or on the stage? Both. Both. Yeah, playing at a booth for somebody or playing at, hey, I'm playing Friday night at the Sheraton thing at the so-and-so party, whatever, right. getting to perform these things. It was great. And then then I started not wanting to and doing less of it. And then I went through a period where I'm like, oh, the damn show's lame. You know, just when you're... Why did you not want... It's just like... I don't know. I just got sick of it, I think. I got sick of going. And then... Uh, and then... As I was getting sick of going is at the point when I was getting recognized more as a famous drummer guy and right. not just a fan kid that was there himself. And uh, and so sometimes that was fun, sometimes it wasn't fun. But uh, I think that in recent years, here's, here's how it works out for me. I say how I don't really want to go, but I kind of do want to go. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is if I'm not working and not busy the weekend it happens, I go, I don't know if I want to go. And then it rolls around Saturday, I go, I got to go. Right. And I love seeing all my old friends there. And I love mm-hmm. seeing my, the, the companies that I've been with for years. And uh, you know, there's that group of people that you see only at the NAMM show, basically. Right. You know? right. It's, it's, it's great. I, I, do, I do enjoy it, even though it is more crowded and hectic as ever. It's gotten crazier and crazier every year. So that part, I go, God, I don't want to deal with it. And then what happens, so I, I, I try and not go. Mm-hmm. And I go, God, I wish I, would, I wish I was working or I wish I, was, I had an excuse to not go because... It's hard to sit at home and pretend like I'm busy and I don't want to go, and I, I got to end up going. Sure. So then, when something does come up, I'm like, "Oh, good, I'm working. Oh, I can't God. go, even if I wanted <laughs> I, to go. I can't go. Impossible." So sure, it's, I, today's the first day, right? It's happening today, right? Yeah. Well, is it? Th- yeah, I think, I think it's Thursday through Sunday. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. Three days. Yeah. But I leave tomorrow at 7 a.m. to New York, and I come home right. Monday, right? When I come home Monday, <laughs> no, I'm just gonna miss it. Okay. Just gonna miss it, and everyone knows Thursday. I mean, actually, Thursday would probably be the good day to go. You know, one year about. Four or five years ago, Brooks Wackerman and I, who, you know, I've known Brooks, we were talking about him earlier, but I've known him since he was a kid and he lives five minutes from here. Uh, Brooks and I, when you were trying not to go, and we said, you know what, let's do this. Let's go Sunday, 
at 3 p.m. It was great because no one's there. Sunday's like the kind of the, everyone's, everyone's, everyone's over tired, and everyone's yeah. gone. I'm not going Sunday. I've been there for the last three days solid. Right. You know, and we roll up Sunday at 3 p.m. and everyone's kind of starting to, you know, they're loosening their ties and they're having a having beer in the booth. They're like, yeah, this, this, this is not even really happening anymore. So it's great. And it's kind of, you know, you can walk down a, an aisle without getting, you know, stampeded over by other people. Um, so that was kind of cool. Showing up for the last two hours of the last day. But, uh, you know, if may, maybe if I wasn't going to be out of town all next week, too, maybe I'd go, okay, I'm going to go today, Thursday, you know, right? Mm-hmm. But with my kids and with the limited time that I have, I go, you know what? Uh, this is the way I have to think. Okay, in the next 10, 11 days, I'm going to be home for one day, right? I'm going to be home on Tuesday, basically, next right. Tuesday. Maybe I won't go to the NAMP show today because I've got to pack. I want to hang with my kids. There's things I want to do, and I've got to get up at 6 a.m. tomorrow, so I'm not going to go. Very important you know? interview to do. I mean, there's a... Yeah. There's a- <laughs> you know, I mean, no, but it's true. It's true. Like, I, my kids, Thursday, they get out of school early, you know, and it's like... If I really had to go to the NAMM show, if I really, really wanted to go to the NAMM show, I'd go this afternoon. But I'm not right. dying to go and I've got other shit to do. You right. know what I mean? So, right. And if I wasn't flying to New York tomorrow morning, I'd probably go tomorrow. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, great. You know, start, you know, I was pl- planning on probably going. And then about two weeks ago, uh, Sting's management called and said, hey, I think Sting's going to do the, the Grammys. You know, so you got to go out on Friday, rehearse Saturday and play Sunday. And went, oh, great. So, and that, that'll be fun too. That'll be interesting. You know, I've, I've, it's, I've always, you know, from time to time I go, God, is it weird? I've never been to the Grammys and I've never played to the Grammys. Out of all the things I've done, I was going to ask, because you're not like in. a, you don't do like a lot of award shows. No. Right? No. I mean, like. Which I think is cool. I think it is cool. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's, it's just the way it's worked out. I didn't plan on not doing them. I didn't. Have you done the Super Bowl? I haven't done the Super Bowl. I've done, I've done like these. Like, for instance, I'm going to Minneapolis next week to do mm-hmm. two Super Super Bowl-related things with Sting, but they're not the actual Super Bowl. I got you. One's like a private party. Go for Birds, like by the way. What's that? I said go Eagles, by the way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, oh, man, my, my family's from Minneapolis. Oh, yeah? And, man, the Vikings are so close. Uh-huh. I, I, don't follow, I don't follow that shit, really. A, but my mom does, and my uncles do. And I'm, I'm, just, like, I'm an Eagles fan, and, like, we've sure. been waiting for it for a long time. Sure. And the fact that they've been, like, we're underdogs, and we went in Absolutely. and just, like, I don't know who's the other team. I don't know. Patriots. It's always the Patriots. Are they really? It's always the Patriots. The fuck. They won. It's something like something insane. Like they won. It is always the Patriots. Five Super Bowls in like nine years or something like that. So even if it wasn't Minneapolis or Yankees, even if it wasn't my ties to Minneapolis, I I thought it was cool that maybe for the first time ever there was going to be a team that got to play in their hometown. Yeah. That would yeah. have been really exciting for whoever the fuck it was. Yeah. Right. But it would, you know, they said it would have killed uh, their, it would have cost the city a ton of money because people didn't, wouldn't need hotel rooms. People wouldn't need, because right. they, because they live there. They'd you riot know? and wreck the place. Yeah. <laughs> so there's rowdy Minnesotans, man. Yeah. Everyone knows about you know? that rowdy. Yeah. Yeah. So you were saying about, about award shows super like. Oh yeah. It's just, oh, so yeah. I, you know, I did. I actually, the only time I've done anything else really Super Bowl related is a while ago when my friend Adrian Young was having his first child, no doubt was supposed to play the Super Bowl pre-show mm-hmm. thing on TV. Right? Not the halftime. I think Paul McCartney, I think he plays every year, right? The halftime show. Bruno Mars played two years in a row. Yeah, that's, it's like the Patriots. The Patriots <laughs> right. always win and Paul McCartney is always playing the, the halftime. Um, no, so uh, I went out to play with No Doubt and I did 
three Super Bowl related things. We did some like they had a show on a Friday night called like the pre pregame kickoff concert with Ja Rule, Sheryl Crow, no doubt, and actually Sting played the night. And Abe oh, was really? playing with Sting, yeah. And uh, and Abe was playing with McCartney that weekend too. I remember he was playing with Sting like on a Friday night. And he was playing the Super Bowl on Sunday. I saw and I've known Abe forever, right? He's a friend. I love him to death. I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> Like, uh, I mean, people joke around with me, hey, Josh, leave some gigs for us, right, huh? Right. But I was like, dude, you're playing with Sting tonight and McCartney on Sunday? Get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> you got it in the bag, dude, man. Dude, come on, man. Yeah, I was so crazy, I remember. But anyways, I, so I went with No Doubt and played these. None of them were full shows. It was mm-hmm. like that, that, that TV show I'm telling you about, we played a song, you know? And then the pre-show game thing that we did was we played four songs. And then we did something else, like an MTV Mardi Gras thing while we were down in New Orleans. Right. But, but anyway, so I went down and did these these couple of things with No Doubt. So yeah, I'm doing some of this thing next week. But once again, I don't even know exactly what it is. It's not something you can tune in and watch. It has nothing. I'm not on the Super Bowl. Um, but the Grammys thing, yeah, it's cool. So all the time I go, somehow I'm a Grammy. I didn't sign up for it. I think my dad might have signed me up for years ago. But I'm a member of the Grammy committee. But I've never voted on anything. I've right. never gone. I, I don't pay any attention to it, you know? Um, and I'm not even like an anti-guy. Like I just got the more I don't care. Right. I really don't care about the Grammys, you know. And I'm not saying to to be punk rock or anti this or that. I really don't care. And I rarely watch it. Um, but at the same time, it's not like I've always said, "Man, I hate the Grammys. I hate everything about it." And then I get called in and go, "Oh, cool. I'm gonna oh, go sure, play the Grammys." Sure, I'll do it. No, I I could care less either which way. And if I never play the Grammys or anything related with it, I actually a couple years ago I went, you know, I'm totally. It's fine. It's just kind of weird that I never have, but yeah, it doesn't bother me. And then when I found out I was going to play, I go, "Cool, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool, right?" Mm-hmm. And if it's it got like, canceled, check it off tonight. I wouldn't be devastated. No, I'd be bummed because I, I think my kids think, "Oh, you're gonna, dad's going to play the Grammys." It is kind of cool, right? The parents at school and you're playing with cool. a legend too. You're not playing, playing with, with some, like some, yeah, 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 some yeah, yeah. random person no, that like in three p- years you're never yeah. going to no- see him again. You know, yeah, playing the Grammys or staying is pretty cool. It's pretty cool, and um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun, but like, I don't, I'm not attending it. I'm literally going and playing and rolling. And I'll probably be back, you know, by the time they, you know, announce best, uh, you know, best rest. I'm going to be back at the hotel, um, eating room service by myself. But, because uh, you don't want to hang out. No, you know what it is? It's it's one of those things like we were talking about earlier about how you know record labels go, hey, you want? We'll throw you a party, and right, then you right. get the bill for it. It's like you know the tickets, like the. Tickets start at fifteen hundred bucks a ticket, you for know? you, for me, yeah. So if even though you're playing at it, you can't like hang afterwards. Pretty sure I might be able to hang afterwards. I meaning, I could probably go to the party if I want to go to the party and and see. You can't go like sit in the audience. Diddy. What's that? You can't just go like sit in I don't the think audience so. and like. No, because uh, of course that was the first thing out of my wife's mouth when she found out I was going. Can we go? Let's go. I want to go there. And I was like, well, hold on. I knew it would probably be a thing. Right. I asked Sting's manager, and he goes, "You know what?" He goes, "I think." He not staying, but I think the university's know, manager had to buy tickets. I think everyone, everyone just has to buy tickets. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm spending three grand for my wife and I. If you want to go? I could probably get you, you know, right. the opportunity to spend three grand on tickets. And I'm like, oh, whatever. I don't, I don't really care. Right. And maybe if I was up for a Grammy, like we found out a friend of mine that's up for a Grammy, he and his wife, or at least his wife's having to buy a ticket, I'd probably buy tickets to sit in the audience. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. how often are you up for a Grammy? But I know what it's like to do these things where, you know, you go, I'm going to go perform and then I'm going to leave. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, and I'm not heartbroken about it. I'm happy to just go say I did it mm-hmm. and go be a part of it and go do the thing, you know. So What's what's the relationship that you have with Sting? Like in terms of your your I mean you guys close? Well, yeah, I mean we're 
Because you, I mean, you've been playing with them for a while, off and on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how many? I get along great with them. I mean, we don't. How long have you been playing with them? Uh, well, I worked with them in 2005 and a little bit in 2006. And then I started again about almost a year and a half ago. When that call comes in, though, the first time, is it like, holy shit? Or are you just yeah. sort of like numb to things now where you're just like... No, I wasn't numb to it, but I was, I was pretty excited. It was a... I like to actually tell the story about the first time I met him because it's pretty interesting. Kind of cool the way it went down. Um, I just got off the road. I've been on tour of the Perfect Circle for like a year. And we got home. We were going to have a bunch of time off. You know, maybe forever off. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like the end of the band for a long time and maybe ever. And uh, I came home and magically after I got home, I was home for a week or two. I get a call from a guy that was uh, a buddy of mine that knew him or someone at the record label and said, Hey, uh, Sting's interested in you going on tour with him next year. And I was like, I guess this is the end of, end of 2004. He's doing a tour and he wants to do like kind of a more of a rock and roll tour with like a four piece band and he wants to, you know, lose all the background singers and the keyboards and the percussion and the horns and just like do a stripped down thing, play a bunch of old police songs. I was like, oh my God, right? Incredible. And you're like a huge Stuart Copeland yeah, fan. Yeah, a right? huge Stuart Copeland fan, a huge police fan, um, and a huge fan of Sting. I, you know, I've, I've always had nothing but respect for Sting, you know, and ever when he went solo and all this stuff. Of course, I was, I was a big fan of the record he did with Omar Hakim mm -hmm. and the Manny Cachet stuff. Um, so yeah, I was psyched, right? I was like, oh my God, this is how cool, right? Um, he was playing a gig at a great venue that unfortunately just closed down forever. The big like outdoor shed in Orange County called Irvine Meadows mm -hmm. in, in Irvine. And uh, he was playing there. He and Annie Lennox were playing a gig there. And they said, well, you know, Sting's playing at Irvine Meadows on Thursday night. Can you go down and meet him? I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> right? So I go down and go, oh, this is so You never cool. met him or Never met him. him, no. And uh, I go down, like it's sound check time. And I'm kind of sitting around and... Uh, and his manager at the time, no longer his manager, says, uh, here, come on in, you know, he can meet you now. And I figured they're gonna usher me in and I'm gonna shake his hand. We're gonna talk for a minute and a half and then he's gonna go be rich and famous and fabulous over there with some A-listers and right. not wanna talk to me, right? So I walk in, he goes, hey, you wanna walk over to catering? I go, sure. So we walk over to catering and we're kind of small talking and he hands me a plate and we're going down the line with all the other, the truck drivers and the, the, the lighting dude and the merch guys and we're on his plate. I go, this is so cool. And we're talking about, we're talking about jazz. We're talking about punk rock. We're talking about songwriting. We're talking about Vinny. We're talking about Stewart. We're talking about Southern California. We're just talking about music and stuff. I go, this is so great. And we eat and then we go back to uh, his dressing room and we talk for a couple minutes there. And, uh, and he said something like, well, I hope to see you at rehearsals next February, you know, in three months. I was like, thinking, never heard me play, dude. <laughs> We've never played. And I think I, I, I said, Scott doesn't know I'm not a drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not that good. Uh, no, I, I think I said something like, dude, you've never heard me play. He goes, he just had a gut feeling. He goes, I, he goes you know what you're talking about, you know? Right. Just I guess he figures I, you're not going to be in the room if... Right, exactly. And, right. and, and that, it, this is a big kind of a... You know, a nod to his 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 now manager, who at the time was his A and R guy, and this uh, A and R guy, Martin Kirzenbaum. I'd actually met Martin when this is how things can work, right? And the the networking and the the the, the bridges bridges that cross. Um, what happened was, uh, or paths that cross, I should say. When I was in New Orleans doing that thing with No Doubt, 
right? Mm -hmm. Sting was playing there as well. I'm in the hotel lobby where we were staying, and this guy comes up to me and he goes, "Hey, uh, you're Josh, right?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "I'm Martin, and I saw I, I love Paul Westerberg, and I've seen you play with Paul Westerberg before. And what are you doing here?" I said, "I'm playing with No Doubt." You know, the drummer's having a baby back in California, so I'm here filling in for him. Uh, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, I work with Sting. I go, you work with Sting? What do you do with Sting? He looks, he, Martin looks young. He, I mean, he is, he's, he's 50. He looks like he's 30. And back then he was 33 and looked like he was 12. Right. You work with Sting? What do you do? I'm his A&R guy. You're his A&R guy? You don't look like, an, you look like a kid. He looked like a kid, you know? Right. And uh, I go, oh, man, you know, I'm a big fan. And I said, I'm friends with Abe. I know Abe's just here temporarily right now. But, man, you know, I would love one day to work with Sting. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a fan of, you know, the police and all the drummers that worked with them so on and so forth. And Martin remembered that. Right? I was Vinny's ring bearer. Yeah, I was, <laughs> ring bearer, so I was Vinny's ring bearer. Come on, man. So yeah, so you know, uh, I guess, so that was in 2002. It was about two and a half years later. I get the call. And Sting's management, Martin wasn't, Martin now manages Sting, but at the time wasn't managing him. He was his A&R guy. Mm -hmm. But he'd worked with Sting for a long time and Sting trusts him. And he, you know, and Martin's like, listen, he put his ass on the line by saying, oh, you want to go do a rock and roll tour? Get this dude on drums. Just trust him. Get him. And so Martin wouldn't be there, and he wouldn't be managing Sting today if he made a bunch of stupid suggestions, right? Right. So he's like, okay, cool. And he, you're saying he's great. You're saying that he thinks he can do a, do a good job. Okay. And then we met, and we got along great, and I seemed to know what I was talking about. And, right. And so, uh, yeah. So I went over to, of course, you know, when rehearsals came around, and I think it was February of 2005, I'm thinking, you know, half the reason why... You know, I wanted to take a gig with, with Sting is so they could say things like, well, rehearsals are going to be in Italy. You know, right. at his estate in Italy. I went, of course they're going to be at his estate in Italy. Why would we <laughs> All go right, to, I guess I'll go to Italy. Why would we be in crummy Hollywood in some rehearsal studio? We're going to be at a castle in Italy, you know? Right. So I went, oh, bitchin', this is already, you know, all that I'd hoped for in that right. respect, Right. I got to his place in Tuscany, you know, we rehearsed for two, three weeks. Oh, you're serious about that? I, oh, yeah. I thought you were saying, no. like, you were just thinking, like, no. we're not going to be in some shithole in, in L.A. We're going to be... No, oh, this it really was at his, you know, whatever it is, 500, 600,000 acre estate, whatever, just this right. huge ranch estate out in out in the hills of Tuscany, Italy, right? So I'm like, this wow. is so bitching. I will say on the car ride, I get picked up at the Florence airport, right? I go, mm -hmm. And I'm driving, and I'm going, my God, we've never played together. And... Meaning, part of me wasn't worried about it at all. Mm -hmm. Part of me was like, of course this is going to be fine. This is going to be great, right? Right. And then there's other part of me going, what if you walk in and just choke? And in the, <laughs> even if it gets better after 15 minutes, what if we start playing and the Sting looks at Dominic and they go, what the hell are we doing with this kid? You yeah. know, what do we do? You know, I'm going, please. I mean, I'm going, <laughs> down, the, made a I'm very going down the list mistake. of the Stewards and the Vinnies and the Omars and the Keiths and the Manus. And I'm going, oh, my God, like... You know, he's played with all these incredible drummers. And, and yeah, so that started freaking me out a little bit. And uh, which amazes me because it it proves I love that about you because it proves that, like, we're all human. Of course. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't matter what like we oh. all have this self-doubt. We all have like right. this imposter Absolutely. syndrome. Like, when are they going to figure out? that I'm like right. a phony. When, uh, when am I going to get figured yeah. out? Yeah, and you I thought I mean? it might have been that afternoon in Italy. <laughs> and I'm driving up, and as we drive up to this, you know, we see this this giant structure up on the hill. I'm going, oh, my God, there's things, you know. 
It's not a castle. It's, right. You know, kind of a, a Tuscan-looking, cool Mediterranean Italian, you know, yeah, Italian yeah. villa. Does it feel like a dream when you're, like, pulling yeah, up? Yeah, we're there? pulling up. I go, oh, my God, it's like I'm, this is some Willy Wonka shit right now, man. I'm pulling up to the freaking chocolate factory. And the gate's going, oh, my God, this is crazy. <laughs> and you're like, he's really here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is nuts. And uh, I think we didn't play. I forget if we played that day or not if we played the next day. I can't remember, but I went in and checked out my drums and there's a whole road crew of, full of people that have worked with Sting for years. Something so great about Sting too is he's had the same, most of the people working with him he's had working for him for years. He had the same bass tech since like 1981. You know what I mean? It's insane. Same tour manager since like 1982 or 83, like all through the, most of the police stuff right. and then all of his solos. You know, he keeps people on, man. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're loyal and you show up and you do a great job, he he doesn't want to let go of you. Right. You know? Um, so anyways, yeah, I just remember going, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Fuck, it's freaking me out that we still like all of this buildup and all this shit. My first class ticket from L.A. to Italy. And oh, my God, what if I blow it? And they flew all my drums here. Oh, my God. And we played that for whatever reason. I was going to ask about So what, you know, they're like, what kit do you need? And you're like, oh, just pick I just it up said, a car. Yeah, one of my DW kits. And they sent it over there. And the Rocket Cargo picked it up from the drum doctors. And, they had, and it, was all like, right. it was all very exciting, you know. And I'd done stuff like that before, but not this exact scenario, not where you're going to play with a legend who's famous for having all these great players who you've got a gig with who's never heard you play. Right. <laughs> it just took someone's word for it. So I'm going, dude, you better deliver. You know, when you show up, you better deliver. Um, yeah, I remember the first song we played was uh, one of his solo songs called The Hounds of Winter. And uh, he goes, let's play Hounds of Winter. You know, it starts off with this buzz roll, and I start playing this buzz roll. Did you know the tunes at all? Yeah, though? I did. Okay. He sent me a list. Here's 25 songs you should know, or 30 songs. And even if it wasn't on there, unless it was a total, total, total deep cut that I know he's never going to play. It's like, you know, you know, the list of police songs. Let's say he didn't write Driven to Tears. I'm like, I know Driven to Tears. I'm going to listen to it anyways. I just listen to stuff. You know what I mean? And what I've learned with him, too, is that I've kind of gotten to know his whole catalog because like Dominic Miller, who's been his guitarist since 91, they've done so many different incarnations of the band. They've done so many different uh, sets over the years. Let's say he calls out a song at Soundcheck. It's okay if we've never played it and he, and he didn't tell me we were going to play it that afternoon. It still happens like today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he'll say, oh, let's play uh, Brought to My Senses. And Sting's like, you know that one, right? It's in seven. And like, he didn't tell me that I needed her to know it. And 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 it would have been okay if I said, no, I don't know it. But I do know it. Right. So I've listened to it. Because I've seen, I, he likes to just call stuff out. Not during the show. He doesn't mm. really throw you a curve like that. But I don't want to be the one guy on stage that doesn't know it. Right. It'd be okay if I didn't know it. I'd say, hey, can I listen to it? And we can play it tomorrow. Right. I'd say, sure. But after he says that four or five times, it's going to kind of get sick of going. Sure. He wants <laughs> to know that you know. He yes. wa and, and he wants to know that... He doesn't want to have to, like, when I stopped playing with him uh, in 2006, it was on good terms. We'd gotten done doing a tour and whatever, and I, had, I was starting to work with, with Nine Inch Nails mm -hmm. and was really enjoying that. It was very different from the time I'd just spent with, with Sting. Um, I stopped playing with them, but they still would call me for, like, one-off things. You know, hey, mm -hmm. we got this one, we're doing this this gig in Quebec, we're doing this gig here, and, you know, Vinny can't make it because he's doing this or that. They call me to do the one-off. And the first time I remember we set up a rehearsal the day before. I mentioned Quebec because one of them was Quebec. Um, we set up a rehearsal the day before. We were going to play like a weekend of shows, like three gigs. And I hadn't seen them like in 
know, two years or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I made sure I did, I did my homework, and we got to rehearsal the day before, like the, the some studio in Quebec, and we played and one song. It was like, like man, come on, that was great. Yep. You know, like not a day went by since we played. Back that. in the saddle, you know? it yeah, just yeah. felt right. And- yeah, he's like, oh, it's like putting on an old pair of shoes that just fit. This is great, you know. And then I would go and pat myself on the back. Well, this is cool. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I did my homework and it's paying off, and the yeah. boss is happy. And we played another song, and it was great. And then he like just skips down. I was like, you don't need to play right. You know, rock samples. You don't need to play message. You know, message in a bottle. Like, he's like, and he just randomly pick another. One. Let's do this one. Play it top to bottom. Perfect. He's mm-hmm. like, I think we called the rehearsal short. He's like, we got it. We got it. I just spent all afternoon playing these songs. You how many? It. How many songs are you guys playing now? Like, how many songs are you like cycling through? Yeah. <sighs> you know, I'm not exactly sure. Other than the shows are roughly an hour and a half, mm-hmm. and most of the songs are the same every night right i mean most of them are because you do you do police tunes and sting tunes right yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. um so but so then he was like oh this is great so then i went home and a couple months later they called hey can you do this one gig in dallas i said sure and this particular gig they said uh we're not going to come in the day before we're just going to do a sizable sound check sound check rehearsal and i hadn't seen him like in a year or something (laughs) so i made sure i knew my homework because i'm like he wants to know whatever he's paying for it's it's not gonna fuck up and right. it's gonna be it's not gonna fuck up. Right. It's gonna be good. Mm-hmm. And he's not gonna have to worry about it. He's got other things to worry about. He doesn't want to worry about whether the drummer's gonna remember the ending or you know what I mean? He right, wants right, to know right. that I've done my work. Sure. So I sure I, I tell my kids that when they're studying for tests, you know, and they're going, Well, I think I know, yeah, I'm pretty sure I go, go over it again. Mm-hmm. And then you know that you're gonna get a great grade. Right. Don't think, yeah, I think I know it. Go over it again. And then tomorrow morning on the way to school, go over it again. You know what I mean? Are be, you like a be prepared? Are you a uh, are you an over preparer? You think? I think I kind of used to be, and I think I've slowed down a little bit on that. Because, <laughs> like for instance, yeah, you know, there's times I'll like learn the shit out of stuff, and then you show up. Well, you know, this isn't a bad thing though. You show up, and there's been plenty of times where people go, "Oh, we're not doing any of that album." Maybe an album that I spent <laughs> a ton of time learning all the songs. Like, oh my god, I thought you said to learn on the whole record. Okay. That oh, information well. would have been None helpful. Of it hurts, I think, I think, yeah, exactly. If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Apex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. It's one thing to talk about how great Dream symbols are, but it's another thing to actually hear them for yourselves. And the good thing about Dream is not only do they sound great, but they're also priced well below the competitors' prices, so that way you can actually afford to buy these symbols. And if you don't think you can get a great sounding symbol at a low price, check out dreamsymbols.com. But first, I want you to take a listen to what these things sound like. To learn more about Dream Symbols, be sure to check them out at dreamsymbols.com. Right now, you are listening to this episode for free because of the great sponsors that we have, like Promark and their new Firegrain drumstick. 
The new fire grain utilizes a revolutionary heat tempered process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. They keep their original weight and balance and feel, but these sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. There's no excess vibration. There's no gimmicks or anything like that. They're just natural hickory, but they're hardened by flame. So unlike any other drumstick that uses synthetic alternatives, fire grain drumsticks feel like hickory because that's all they are. They also come in classic forward balance, and select balance across a variety of sizes. To learn more, check out ProMarkDrumsticks.com. You know what's funny, man, is that a podcast that I did a couple years ago, I was looking at like the the drummers on it. Mm -hmm. That's why I like, you gotta like almost like cut me off in some of my stories because I'll talk for fucking ever. And I was laughing, I was looking at these things I mean, and it goes by fast for me. Like just now, I was like, oh my God, we've already been back there for like 40 minutes. Um, I was looking at all the different drummers, right? And this is, you know, so-and-so, 58 minutes, so-and-so, minute, uh, hour and four minutes. Someone, and it gets to me, is like two hours and 53 minutes. I'm like, oh my God. I had, Dude, like I had mine, are, shut up. mine are normally like, they go, like they're, they're long You can form. edit them down. Oh, okay. Just, right, so can... I'm like, I just want them to go and I want the car. Right. And sometimes they're, Two hours, sometimes they're an hour and a half. You know, that's cool, right? I, I like that. Sometimes right. they're two and a half hours. Right. So I had John Fishman on from Fish. Oh yeah. Three hours and fifty-five minutes. Fucking hell. We talked. I like fish, man. And I was it's just cool. like, this is and, and I'm a big fish guy, so I was just like it's great. I was like, you want to keep talking? You said we, John Fishman at first. I was thinking like the dude from Oh from, uh, the guy from Fishbone? Fish? No, oh yeah, no, I know yeah, uh, Fish from Fishbone, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I thought you—I thought you were talking about somebody else until I, because I've only known him as Fish. That when I was going John Fishman, right? Cool, yeah. Fish is great, but I, I, I like the—I like the the long form. Oh stuff, man, well, you know I'm I mean? your guy. But I just realized <laughs> the other stuff I've got to do this afternoon was like, yeah, and I don't want to because I, don't I will go on and on and on. So. That's good. I don't, want, but I don't want to hold you up, so we no, can no, we can no, cut no, it whenever. No, no, no. So before we started, and I know that you've you've made mention of this before, that you wanted to be on the road less. And I know that like the Nine Inch Nails thing, they were like, we're going out for a whole year. And you're like, right. no, I just, I can't do it. I want to stay home with my family. Um, and it se- And this is from an outsider's point of view, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like touring with Sting is a lot easier. Like, it seems like it's not as rough as like going out for... 18 months and like just being on a bus for 18 months and like being away from home a lot and would is that true or not well i mean here's how it worked for me i mean the, the reason why i stopped touring with nine inch nails was at the time i was the only one in the band with kids mm-hmm. right and we had two two boys at the time and we were already, we were touring a lot right and and we were going to have our third in our third child in January 2009 and Trent wanted to go out again like a lot 2009 gone basically you right. know what I mean and not only did my wife and my two boys need me at home because I've been gone a lot but we are welcoming this third child and I was like it's gonna it's gonna be nuts in my house for a while right. with these two boys who need their dad around and a we have more. a daughter a th- I can't be gone all, tour, you know, all, all year, you know, or even half the year. I got mm-hmm. I got to stay home for a while. Right. And so on good terms, I left that situation. I loved working with Trent. I loved playing in that band. He was great. And I think because I left for a, a noble reason, mm-hmm. I didn't have some other band like dangling a carrot in front of me going, yeah. hey, we'll pay you more. And they're right. trying to be like, man, fuck those guys, you know. Right. But I was like, hey, I got nothing lined up. I just got to be home and, and mm-hmm. be a parent for a while. And right. Trent was like, 
I'll miss you, but totally cool, man. Yeah. I get it, you know? So that uh, so I, I, I got off the road and, mm-hmm. and then you know, around the time, yeah, between between then, like between two thousand nine and up to about a year and a half ago, I do some touring, but it was like never a ton. Like right. in the last five years, six years or whatever. Uh Stuff that I was doing with Weezer, stuff that I was doing with Devo, stuff with the replacements, stuff with Sublime. It was two weeks here. I mean, the the big one for me would be like going out for six weeks in the summer. That was like that's a lot of touring. Right. Now in the old days, that wasn't long touring. Sure. A lot of touring. But as a now father of four, an adult that is trying to be at home more, six weeks. Oh my God. Okay. Cut to Sting, who loves playing and loves working his ass off when he's in work mode. Man, this last year I've toured more than I've toured in years. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like it's been, it's, last year was crazy. 2017 was nuts. Now, yeah, you're flying around on a private jet, right? You're staying in these swanky hotels. That's pretty awesome. Right. But just like anything, after a month of being away from your home or two months of being away from your family or whatever, it doesn't matter how you travel. Now, it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. It makes it. Was it a lot of international? Tons. Stuff. Yeah, Tons. that's hard. Like, now, it's hard to come home. Right, uh, right. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, yeah, exactly. You can't go, well, I got three days off. The three days off that you have off, you know, you're sitting in, you know. Asia. <laughs> yeah, you're you're in Singapore or, you know right. what I mean, or whatever. You know, it's like you can't just. Now, if I was in the States, hey, I got two days off between Phoenix and Denver. I'll fly home for the two days. I do that stuff mm-hmm. all the time. I feel like if I'm like west of the Rockies. Right. And I have a day off usually at this point. I'll, I'll, fly, I'll home. fly home. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if I'm east and the time change, all this stuff, it's harder. And you got to fly in day of show. It's, it gets sketchy. I, I, I don't so much. But yeah, it was tons of international stuff. So I'm not complaining because, you know, on one hand, God, it was so great. I get mm-hmm. to play with this legend. I get to play these great songs. And are you, songs. On, are you on retainer with him? So that like, are you under contract with him? That you can't do other things no. or anything? No. No, but it's like within reason. It's like I'm, we're not, right now I'm in the mode of working with him mm-hmm. and he's counting on me. So unless I kind of like, you know, give my resignation. Right. It's like he's not, expe- you know. Sure. Um, so, yeah, there's there's no actual like contracts that are going down, you know, because it's all, he trusts me and I trust him. So right. neither of us are going to pull a dick move at the last second kind right. of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, that being said, so, yeah, so. We toured our asses off, but I mean, but I chose to do that. And I, you know, I used to joke around, I said years ago, I said, you know what? I don't think I'd go on tour with anybody like a solo artist unless it was a Sting mm-hmm. or Prince was like, a Prince. I don't think I'd, Prince was life. I don't think I'd even go play with Prince, even though I'm a huge fan, because I think that would be such an ass kicker. Like if I was 20 years younger, I think I'd go play with Prince. I say this, the same thing about Steely Dan, which is now out of the question for me as well. But people always go, who, you know, who have you not played with that you'd like to play with? It's like, I don't say Prince or Steely Dan. But I think both those guys would be really difficult to work for. I don't feel like getting yelled all, yelled yelled at all day by, right. by Donald Fagan or by Prince. I'd be like, man, fuck, get me away from that. I just, I don't think I'd want to, want to deal with it. I wouldn't how often, take... I mean, how often did you deal with that back in the day? Like, did you get yelled at a lot or like? No. Are no, you, but I just like see, any, I like, hear fu- horror like, stories. Really I, hear, I, I used to hear horror stories about working prints. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I'd hear not horror stories, but I just think I'd be pretty. I don't know. I'm not going to talk shit about Donald Fagan. I'm his biggest fan. Yeah. Um, I just don't think I'd want to put myself in that situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Sure. But Sting's great to work with. He's mm-hmm. great to work with. And so yeah, getting to go out and 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 play these great songs with these world class musicians and this guy that up there singing them incredibly every night the guy that wrote them it's like it was worth going out and, and taking that sacrifice 
it wasn't just a money thing. I already had a great paying job at home, you know, mm-hmm. at home, but I was working with Sublime and I enjoyed working with them as well. But it was like, that was kind of starting to kind of run its course. And I, I missed working with Sting. Like I took myself out of that situation years ago. Mm-hmm. And when the opportunity kind of arose to do it kind of full time again, I was like, Okay, I want to do this. Were you saying that you were against going out with a solo artist because notorious, oh, notoriously sorry. they're like hard to deal with? No, no, no. Let me rephrase that. It was more like I'd gotten to the point where I was doing my own bands. I had my band A Perfect Circle for a long time, you know, uh, working with uh, Nine Inch Nails. Not the Nine Inch Nails, just my own band. I shouldn't say that. Um, it was just a situation where I just didn't want to go on the road for any old... Uh, hey, Kelly Clarkson needs a touring drummer. I didn't want right. to be a touring drummer for some solo artist unless it was someone really fucking great right or something legendary a Springsteen or a McCartney or a Sting or Prince but I used to say Sting or Prince for whatever reason I just used those two examples yeah yeah. who would you like to work with or who would you go as as a side man be a side man in this band I would say Sting or Prince right do it you know do you like do you like sort of the band environment versus the the side band one like do you like one or the other better I think I think working Working as a side man, and when I say working as a side man to someone like Sting, who's one of the only guys I work as a side man for, um, it keeps you on your toes more because yeah. he is the boss. You know what I mean? Right. And you are his paid employee. And you know, he's you're there for a reason. He's chosen you to be there. So even more the reason to want to do a great job. It's like, oh, here's this dude's thing. He can afford whatever the hell he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's choosing me to like play drums with him and us be the rhythm section. I better not let him down. You know what right, I mean? Right, and right. This is pretty cool. Yeah. I feel really good about my job. It's mm-hmm. not my band. It's my job. You know, it's, it's, I'm playing music with these guys. But, you know. Is that a different vibe than like working with Trent or somebody? Uh, well, well, Trent's similar in the way that obviously, you know, I wasn't... Nine Inch Nails is Trent's thing. Mm-hmm. Right? You know what I mean? And he hires people to... To do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to be in his band. But that's, that's a similar... Th- Nine Inch Nails is closer to the Sting situation than like a Perfect Circle or the Vandals sure, or the bands I've sure. been in, you know, which is more of like me being more of an equal part of the band. I've got more decision making, you know what right, I mean? Just the right. whole thing. It's more of a band. Um, Trent's thing is he makes it look like a band. This is Nine And it's cool. He doesn't want just his name up there. He likes this, you know, the brand of Nine Inch Nails and the name and people come see this band. They don't need to know all the inner workings and the bullshit business side of how things work. Right. But Trent's smart enough to surround himself with great musicians and great mm-hmm. guys that want to be a part of this thing and it sometimes feels like a band you know I mean, it does feel like a band yeah but yeah he's definitely it's his band mm-hmm. he's the dude you know he calls all the shots and he does a great job making his own records and piecing the whole thing together and i've he's unbelievable in a whole nother way i mean watching that dude works incredible trent's great and not until i started working with him did i really realize how great he was i was gonna say i mean people who close to him or people who've worked with him a lot are like it's amazing he's just a genius he's amazing man and like way once you get once you even get past just the surface stuff it's like it's like a whole so great i mean i i saw it first when in 2000 when a perfect circle we did our first real tour Opening up for Nine Inch Nails. We did a two and a half month tour in the States mm-hmm. in 2000. Maybe spring? I can't remember. Spring or summer 2000? Uh, yes, we did We did 10 weeks with them, right? And I went, oh my God, Nine Inch Nails is a fucking pretty intense live band, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, I remember the songs on the radio I'd hear, and I was like, and I liked them, but they were, I was hearing... Who was playing drums for them then? Jerome Dillon. Mm. And uh, and I was hearing, you know, the stuff I knew was more like, I, I just didn't know the extent of his catalog and what he could do and live, what it was like. I was thinking it was more, I was thinking it was more 
drum machines and keyboards and didn't know there was many there was as much Marshall stack and you know not the heavy metal way but there was less pause involved and there was live drums and it was energetic and, and aggressive and heavy and you know yeah it was it was it was it was great watching him play live every night and then shortly then after I did a project with him pretty legendary project within his fans his realm of fans and fans of Maynard James Keenan's they did this thing called Tapeworm mm -hmm. and uh, it was this project it was it was Trent and Maynard Atticus Ross who's like Trent's partner and doing soundtrack work mm -hmm. and stuff yeah Trent Maynard Atticus my friend Danny Loner who was in Nine Inch Nails for years and uh, and I played drums in the recordings we went and recorded this stuff in a they were working on most of the stuff in, in New Orleans but I cut drums with them in, in Atlanta and and it was a project that just for whatever reason never fully got off the ground. Right. I think in the end, Trent Maynard might have butted heads on a few things, and I don't know that for a fact, but I think that's what's happened. And then, a lot of it was really good. It's funny, so many people have asked Trent for years and years, years, still online, they're asking him about, tapeworm, when are we ever gonna hear it? I think it's the point where I don't think you're ever gonna hear it, because he doesn't <laughs> want it. He's sick of hearing about it. Right. And he's sick of people like, you know, fuck you, you're never gonna hear it. And the more you ask, the more I never want to hear. The more it's getting buried and buried. Crazy with this tapeworm bullshit. But there was some great stuff, and I go, dude, it was pretty great. And right. And maybe in the back of it, Trent knows it too. And partner's like, yeah, I know it's pretty great, but uh, I don't want to deal with all that shit. Um, I mean, I don't know, but but I just remember. So I, so yeah. So people still talk about this project and the, right. the legend of tapeworm. But uh, but when I went down to Atlanta, you see if you can get a copy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, no shit. But I remember he wanted to get out of New Orleans and have a change of scenery for me. So when we cut drums, we went to Brendan didn't own the studio, but people called it Brendan O'Brien Studio in Atlanta. It's a studio called Southern Tracks, and he didn't own it, but he basically did all of his work there for like twenty years. Yeah, about twenty years probably um, down in Atlanta. So we cut drums there, and that's when I realized. Okay, Trent, he's not just this rock star dude that shows up and goes, okay, where am I singing? Where's my vocal? Right. He shows up and like more or less helps set up the vocal mic. You know, oh, there's a buzz in the amp. Here, I'll go switch the ground on that and, you know, let's put up a different mic in front of the SVT. We're going to do this. And, and he's behind the board and he's helping and he's helping position the drum mics and he knows how to get that sound. He knows why it's not sounding the way it should sound. Right. And you're going, this dude knows, man. This dude knows how to run everything in here and he's doing it better than the dudes he's hired. The guys hired. Yeah. You know, so uh, he's hands on every step of the way, you know. And when we rehearse, if we were going to rehearse from noon to four, I'd get there at 11 and he'd already been there for an hour or two working with the lighting people on the show and then I'd leave at four or five and he'd be there till midnight. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty intense, man. I've never seen someone work like that. And it shows the stuff, the stuff he does is so quality and so good. But so who's um, playing with him now? Elon Rubin, who's mm -hmm. uh, a guy from San Diego who I think was playing, uh, he was playing with the band Lost Profits. Well, mm. enough, I did a record with, and now I don't remember. Uh, did you? I don't know anything about them other than one dude went to prison. Really? Now, do you know about that? No. Well, fuck. That's <laughs> no, I got to hear this story. No. It's I just had a meeting yesterday. <sighs> and so I get back from the meeting my, and my buddy's like, oh, how was the meeting? I'm like, oh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. You know, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, that dude's a convicted felon, right? And I was like. Oh, someone you got a meeting with? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, whatever. I'm like, everybody does. And it's like. No, for murder. <laughs> no, not for murder. But it's like he embezzled like all this money and all this stuff. And I was like, maybe I don't want to work. <laughs> well, Lost Profits say, yeah, no kidding. I had no idea that they, they did really well. They, they did better in the UK 
mm -hmm. in Europe than they did I, in the States. I know the band. Well, they did really well over there. Yeah. I was thinking Lost Prophets is just kind of a band name that you know, but you don't know why you know the name. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I couldn't name a song. I made a, you know what, either could I. I couldn't, <laughs> you played it. Now I don't feel Can I tell you something? <laughs> and I swear on my kids' fucking lives. <laughs> This is really fucked up. I don't know what I'm saying. I couldn't name the album. I don't know the name of the album I made. With really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, people, when they hear this, they're either going to go, oh, that's really funny, man. He sounds cool. Or what a dick. What a dick. <laughs> I don't know the name of it. <laughs> but you know what? That's no as long as you don't hear one what? of the records and you're like, this guy sounds like shit, then you find out it's you. Yeah. Can I tell you something? <laughs> Not that I think that would happen, but like... <laughs> I gotta tell you, after the first 25 or 30 records that I made, I started only listening or paying attention to the ones that I really liked or that I had a big part in. Right. I gotta be honest. How many so, records do you think you played on? Uh, hundreds. I don't know. Yeah. And some of those records... Like big records. Like, or like I, you know... I, I, all I know is the one time I looked at the... Uh, uh, this is like five years ago. I looked at something that was online and showed a bunch of uh, you know, discography thing. Mm. And they go, they left this out, like some, some all music guide or something on that showed you the, 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 the you know, right. the, the yeah. list they compiled yeah. All, yeah. off the internet. And there was tons of records, a couple hundred records, and I started naming, I go, but they left this off, they left this, they left this off, they left this off. My wife's like, what about that band, what about that guy from Korea you made three albums with? Him? I, I chalked up like another 90-some records that I could come up with that weren't on there. Right. But then I have things like, oh, man. I've just done so much stuff over the years. And I feel funny saying that, but it's like looking back and it's like, I'll, t I'll tell you a funny moment where I felt, I don't know jaded is the word, but not jaded, but more like, oh my God, I've done a lot of this for a long time now. And I'm not senile yet, mm -hmm. you know? I was flying somewhere with, uh, I was flying, I forget what I was doing, but I was flying somewhere, it was about four or five years ago, and I'm at LAX, and the guy that plays drums with Melissa Etheridge, uh, recognized me in the airport. Or I'm standing at the gate. He goes, hey, I'm so-and-so, super nice dude. I can't remember his name, but he's a nice guy. And he goes, hey, I'm I, I'm, uh, Melissa, I'm, I play with Melissa Etheridge and we're flying to Chicago too. I don't know if you're on this flight. I go, yeah, I am on this yeah. flight. So I go on the flight and I walk past, oh, there's Melissa Etheridge sitting in the second row, mm -hmm. third row. I pass her, I go wherever I was sitting on the plane. And then we land and I get off the plane and Melissa Etheridge comes up to me and she goes, hey, she goes, hey, Josh, uh, Josh, I'm Melissa Etheridge. And I went, yeah, I know who you are. I'm like, what the hell is, why, why is she talking to me? She goes, hey, I want to thank you. Those tracks sound great that you did for me. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at her going, oh, thanks. And I'm going, what are you, what are you nuts? I'm thinking in my head. And I, it was a it was a 30 second conversation. Oh, so you're going to play that festival too? Oh, oh we're actually playing tomorrow. I'm going to just miss you. Hey, nice right. to meet you. Thanks for saying hi. And I'm going, okay, this is this like Grammy award winning kind of legendary singer-songwriter lady in her own right and I'm going how did I not how can I not remember I and then that? I went oh my god that was the session in Seattle you know I didn't meet her lots of times I work with people I work with people quote-unquote but I don't end up meeting them it's right. me playing to a Pro Tools rig a song that's already done that they might put vocal on later and a lot of stuff I'll do in one afternoon mm -hmm. it might not be a whole album but this particular scenario was I played on like two songs for her, and it was me with a producer up in Seattle. I was already up there doing something. The guy said, "Hey, would you mind if you got time tonight? You want to play on two Melissa Etheridge tracks? Any drums on?" I went, "Great!" So between 5 p.m. and 8 p.m., we cut two songs, and and then I went on my way. Right. And I went back on tour the next morning, and I did a hundred more sessions in the next six weeks. I forgot, 
But I, but it was the moment of going, oh my God, dude! Like, what what other sessions are you forgetting? Yeah, you played on us because if you're gonna forget that the, one, the famous, the one of the famous <laughs> ones. What about all the the, the the hundred other unfamous ones you did? But last you seem year? like you don't give a shit about any of that stuff. Do I, you? What do you mean? Like, I, I feel like you because I I care about it all. Like, like I'm looking. Like, so word. you have like you you know you have like a platinum record on the wall, right? You could probably have right. Oh, I laugh. My wife puts them, of them on the wall. I, I want to take the the very few that I have up in the studio. I want to take them down because it's almost like embarrassing. Like, here's my two platinum records I worked on. I've got tons of them that I played on, but I I don't have them. Right. I've they've been given to me, and I've given them to my parents. I had a friend that had a rec- this indie record label that was trying to put some on the wall. I, I gave him some. I don't know what happened to him. Um, and then that's what of, I mean by you don't. No, I don't I, really care. Yeah. No, I don't. It's not, I'm 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 sure it's like a nice to get. It's a nice to have. Right. But but it's not. It's not like defining you or like, hey, look how many. Right. Like, I, I, I mean, you're. I, yeah. I don't want to speak for you, but like, you're in a position where you don't really need to like. You don't need to prove yourself, you know. And there's other guys. I know a guy who shall remain nameless, a famous kind of uh, singer songwriter. And I went to his house a couple months ago, and everywhere, everywhere in his house was platinum records, gold platinum records. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I know he sold a lot of records, but come on, like everywhere you walk in the kitchen, there's plenty. It's like, I get it. Right. Know? It's one thing if you have like the trophy room, well, man, like hey, the man. MJ, like yeah. trophy and room. And you walk in here, of course, there's going to be some instruments, but you walk in my house, you'd never know that a musician or in, <laughs> right. I could be doing real estate. You wouldn't know. You know right. what I mean? There's no... Right. Once in a while, my wife will find some like modern drummer award or something. She's like, And she's like, do you want to put... The, or... <laughs> I remember me putting something up once, like somewhere, and it like she's like, "Does this have to be here? Can we can put this? So I was gonna, gonna put this picture, the kids' new school picture there. Can we take that off the mantle? <laughs> right. Whatever it was, it was not even a big deal. Your award like, from 1980. And maybe so, if I had collected them more, I'd go, "Okay, I'm gonna do a room and really go for it." But I'm like, what? You know? But like I said, she put three of them up, and I'm like, it's almost funnier to just only have three of them. I want to take them down, so there's none up. But yeah, I mean, the, the, there's, there's the, just like I was saying earlier, there's, you know, after 25, 30 records, like when I first planned my first five records, whether I really liked the music or not, I listen to them all the time because I'm going, oh, you know, it's very exciting. Yeah. Oh, this is me. I made, a, I made a CD, man. I'm on a record. I listen to it all the time. And even if, even if I, did, maybe I'd have to stop and go, God, I really actually don't like this record or these songs, but listen, it's me playing, you know, it's yeah. all, I want to hear it. I was very excited, very mm-hmm. proud of it. And it's all new. So after you do 30 of them or 50 of them, you might not want to listen to every last. I'm not going to name artists, but put it this way: you can you can fill in the blanks. Most of them I don't listen to. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But then I'll go. God, I really like this one record I worked on. God, I really like. God, yeah. Okay, I can sit back and enjoy. I mean, but you know the band Ween? Hmm? Of course. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Dean Ween, the guitarist and kind of you know leader of that situation. He uh, he was saying like, there's a record I played on one of their records. He said he's never heard it. No, he said he, he said he he said he's there's certain records that. It was either that record he said he never he's never listened to once, or it's a Ween record that he never listened to. Yeah, he finishes. He's, he's never heard it. He's never he's never listened to it once. Why? I, I I mean I know where a lot of people go because I've heard a lot of people. I personally will like I said if it's a record I like, mm-hmm. if it's a band that I like, or some, it comes down to the songs, or maybe if it's a stellar performance, which very rarely do I think I have one. But if I <laughs> if, if, if I got a connection, someone go, God, I really am proud of these drums on this thing. I'll listen to go, God, this is pretty cool. And I feel like I'm, I'm okay with patting myself on the back once in a while because there's plenty of other things I do that I don't pat myself on the back right. for that I could care less about. Um, so when th- something does kind of rise to the surface, like, oh man, this is really great. 
But I hear a lot of people that go that have bands that go, you know what? I made a, I make a record, I write it, I record it, I spend you know forever mixing it. When it's done, I never want to. I just I'm on to the next thing. I never want to hear it. Right. I personally sometimes bands I only hear I it like top to bottom once, right. and then be like, right. all right, I don't I don't need. Well, to maybe you to do it. in the mixing process or when you're mastering the record, but maybe once it comes out, you never want to hear it. Right. No, I used to laugh, and maybe it's a different thing. I feel like I've probably made a lot of. I don't know if I've made more records than Johnny Depp's made movies. Probably because records are quicker and easier to make than movies mm-hmm. are, and they take longer. But uh, I love, there's a there's a very funny interview with Johnny Depp, and it was kind of hard for me to believe, but maybe in the same way people don't believe me when I talk about the records I played on. There's a funny interview with Johnny Depp on Letterman a couple years ago, and he goes, "So how's the new the Pirates Three movie?" And Johnny says, "That Depp laughs. He goes, I haven't seen it." He goes, "You haven't seen it?" He goes, "I'm being serious. I haven't seen it yet." He goes, "How have you not seen it yet?" But you know, maybe when you make a hundred movies. You don't need to he see it. He doesn't care about seeing himself again on the thing. Yeah. Now, maybe if you've never been in a movie before, you make a movie, you go, dude, we got to watch my movie. And I would have it on yeah. my, I would have it on a TV, just playing it on, on repeat. Yeah. But when you do a hundred movies, I'm like, give a shit. And yeah. he got paid really great money. Does he really care about seeing himself run around as a pirate? Probably not at this point. But maybe right. it was a cool, maybe it was one of his, the, the Rum Diary movie that he made where he's portraying his hero, Hunter S. Thompson. Maybe he might want to watch that because like, oh, this is great. This mm-hmm. is a passion project or right. something. I think so. a movie's different though because once you act in it, then it goes to right. editing. And right. like, depending it's who the no editor is, yours, it yeah. could be a completely different movie. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like with the, with the record, like you're hearing it. You may not hear the mixed version, but you're like, I pretty, I get it. But if for me, if I'm getting hired to play, let's say I'm getting hired by this band over here and I'm not a big fan of their music, but uh, this is what I do for a living and they're nice guys and they're gonna pay me decently, so I'm gonna show up and do it. So right. I do it for a couple of days, not only do I not have to hear it again because I'm, I don't really care about it, right. as long as I did a great, I felt like I did a good job while I was there with them, but it, it's not my record. It's their record. They're going to do whatever they want with it, and half the time, they'll end up beat detected being the thing to, to hell and editing it where it could be anybody on drums. Yeah. It might be a drum machine. I don't know. You know what I mean? Sometimes. Do you ever, do you ever so work under pseudonyms? I've never... Never no. been like, don't put my... You don't need... Oh, yeah, I've left my name off records before. Oh, really? Yeah. Because you didn't... Uh, well, I'll tell you what, there was one time I was, and this band will remain nameless, but there was a time I wanted to leave my name off a record, and right when I was going to ask them, I was going, how do I ask the label guy without, like, I don't want to offend him, but I'd rather not have my name on that album, I don't know. He goes, hey, uh, Josh, so since we finished tracking, the band found a drummer, he's going to be in the band, we kind of, we want to make it look like a band, so... You know, would you be offended if, you know, we gave you an extra special thanks, but we list the band, so-and-so guitars, so-and-so drums, so-and-so bass, you know, but the guy that's going to be in the band and in the pictures, if we put his name as he played drums, I'm like, totally cool. Totally cool. Like, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth. I didn't have to say, can you not put my name in the album? Right. And then there was, yeah, it's only been a few times, but, you know, I also feel like I crossed, I crossed a line years ago of like, uh, how should being too picky about that sort of thing, you know. Uh, you know, I've worked with, you know, I mean, that's what I do. It's, it's funny. Sometimes someone will hire me and they go, man, that's so cool. I can't believe we were able to hire you for this thing. I go, all you got to do is call me. Yeah. If you've got my phone or a way to get a hold of me, this is what I do. So and, unless unless I really hate the music. Right. Or unless I literally can't do it because I don't have time mm-hmm. um, or whatever, or there's zero money. It's like, this is what I do for a job. You know, so like there's plenty of things I do for next to no money or for free because I want to do it. Sure. And then there's things that I do because that's how I pay the rent, you know. Right. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I, I think that I, I, I got the point years ago. I'm like, okay, I've worked with, you know, I, I 
kind of try and kind of deflect things if someone's coming in and going, dude, you worked with so many great artists. If I'm, if someone's kind of sharing me with compliments in that respect, and I'm getting uncomfortable. I go, yeah, but you know what? I play with tons of horrible artists too. Yeah. So don't forget about that, man. I've worked with a lot of shitty bands. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. But it's always, it's good experience. My, my 16 year old son, who's an artist, he has his own little art show down here in Long Beach recently. And, uh, but he got asked to be a part of this thing up in LA and he was just going to be like, show four or five of his pieces and there's gonna be like 15 other artists at this thing and he was like well you know i'm not sure if i want to do it i said dude go do it because you don't know who you're going to meet that night at the art gallery right and maybe the artist that's next to you says hey hunter my son's name hey i'm doing this other thing next week and it'd be cool to have like a teenager's perspective on art and go there and do it and that's why i'll show up and let's say there's a band over here that i'm not a big fan of and says can we hire you and i say sure and i show up maybe the engineer pulls me aside and goes hey you know Next week, I'm, you know, working with so-and-so, and you'd be great. Right. Great. I'm glad I got myself in the house and went into that thing. Just yeah. putting yourself out there in those experiences, you never know what they're going to lead to. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's totally. important. There was, a, there was a thing I read online, I don't know how much truth there is to this. Was there, like, some Courtney Love thing or, like, something with you, like, walking out of a session or something like that? Or is that fake made up? That's made up. Even though I, I, I did work with her once, and I've... I've, 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 I've Felt you know I've been on both sides of the the fence with her o- over the years, but uh, I guess I you know I I've, I've seen her a few times recently and I I, I like her mm-hmm. and like running into her you know and I probably know a slightly different Courtney Love than people knew 25 years ago. Right. I met her 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't hang out with her 25 years ago, but I met her a few times when she was with Kurt and that whole right. thing, <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, come on, you know, but it's like, you know, yeah, I I've, 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 I've go in between going, oh man, Courtney, rolling my eyes. And then, but she, she's been nothing but nice to me, you know, right. like in recent years and when I worked there. So yeah, there was kind of a funny thing in the studio. It wasn't a big deal. I didn't, I didn't walk out on it. Oh but, no. Uh, no, no. I, I, I walked out of a Scott Weiland session once. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Why? That was one of the only sessions I walked out of before it even started. Well, now it's the like one of those you know don't don't kick a guy while he's down. I would tell this but bad story you... about a dead guy. It's like, but you know, you know what? It it was the it was a situation where I got sort of tricked into. It was him and some a couple other people that I wasn't huge fans of that I got brought in the studio and I was kind of. I had a problem with one of the other guys, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I got to be honest. In the end, I didn't. In the end, I saw Scott once or twice, about a year before he died, maybe a little bit less. I didn't have a problem with. I didn't hold anything against him, but I used to have a problem with him. Years okay. ago, I had a problem with him, and um, just like shit, like music shit. Yeah, and some little, little personal stuff. Right. Um, but it's one of those things where I, I went to the studio and I went, okay, the dude that hired me didn't tell me that this was for him and for these other kind of group of these Hollywood kind of scenester people that were going to mm-hmm. do this project. And I was like, fuck, man, I really don't want to be here. Like, I really don't want to be here right now. And um, and we're getting ready to like track, you know, and I'm looking around the room and there's people tuning the drums and it's late at night and they're paying him time and a half because it's 11 at night on a Sunday and we're at a beautiful studio in Hollywood and I'm going I'm looking at the room I'm looking at all the the dudes with makeup and sunglasses at night indoors and the nail polish and the outfits and I'm like I gotta fucking get I gotta get the fuck out of here I can't be here and I pull the producer side like dude I gotta go and he's looking at me like what are you serious I'm like yeah and that's so not my style right 
I'm such a was quote, unquote pro. And I was like, I can't, I, I, I can't do this. I can't. I was like panicking. I can't do this. I, I can't go. I can't go be a. I can't be a part of this. I, I just can't. And he's like, Are you serious? And there's two guys <laughs> as you're walking out. Yeah, you're, there's two guys like, that I kind of knew. And I won't name who they were, but they were. One of them's kind of notable, and they're both semi-notable. But, but yeah, I, I was like, I shouldn't say they're semi-notable. They're both fantastic, and they're my friends. These guys that were producing this thing, and they're great. And 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 I was like, listen to me now, backtracking in case they hear this. Um, no, but I was like, I was like, dude, I can't, I can't do this. And I remember the look on their face was half like, well, first they didn't know I was kidding or not. They're like. Freeze, you joking around? We don't know if you're kidding around or not. And I can't. And 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 as I was walking out the door, they were half, they were like teetering in between. Oh my God, we can't believe he just did this. We're, this is totally fucked. And the other half of them was like, "That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. so awesome." But when, when you're you're, you're telling me the story, and I'm like, "This great. is awesome." Yeah, this is great. Oh man, Freeze is the cool. It would be. It was half Freeze is the cool and, <laughs> and half what an asshole. Now what do we do? You know, at right. eleven at night. And they got someone to come down. There's down the street and played on it. And I don't know if the album ever came out. This is back in the mid '90s when record labels had nothing but extra money to waste and right. you know throw away. So yeah, yeah, yeah. drop in the bucket. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So anyhow, it happens. It happens. You know. Um, I want to be. I know that we're running short on time. Um, we got a little more time. But so what about so what about now? Like what I, I know that you're trying to stay off the road more. You want to do more sessions at home. What about what about people who maybe don't have your pedigree, don't have your, you know, like your phone is ringing a lot more than other people's. And mm-hmm. I think, I think not that it's easier for you. So I don't want to sound, I don't want to say it like that, yeah. but you have options. Sure. I think, right? Yeah. But if, if, if you were 25 or 20 and you're trying to figure this out, like, you know, do you just go on the road? Do you figure well, out how tough. to do? It, and it depends, I guess, what you want to do. If, if it's strictly, if you want to make a living playing music, there's going to be a lot of, live and on the road in your future because just records aren't being made the way they used to get made. Right. There's not as many of them happening and when they are happening, they're, they're happening for less money so fewer guys are getting the call to go do it. Um, so that's tough. It's funny that as I become a parent and, and, and have a house full of kids is when my studio work slows down. Like I was, I was a lot busier. I was making more money in the studio and less live when I was younger when I had no one to, you know, answer care to, for, right. to take care of right and now it's like you know i got all these kids I'm like oh my god i gotta go and play live because no one can download a live experience you gotta go play gigs like everyone like everyone has to do <laughs> yeah all the artists are playing more shows and the musicians are having to tour more um which i remember reading an article in 2004 or five and it was dave matthews and they were talking about digital downloads and he was like i love it and they were like, what do you mean? You're going to make so much? He's like, yeah, now everyone's going to learn, have to learn how to play. And like, yeah. you got to play, you got to play hey, live. I will say something. <clears throat> I, I feel like when I'm in the studio with people these days, I, I, I tell the story. There was probably in about like right before the a few years before the crash, you know, in like 2001 or two or something. There's so many people were getting signed. So many shitty bands were getting signed. And, and new versions of the shitty band that you didn't like in the first place, the, a, a, a not as good version, they were getting signed too. And everyone's getting these major label deals and and most of the drummers stunk or they didn't have a drummer yet. Mm-hmm. And I was doing so many sessions for these artists and these bands were getting signed that had a bunch of money behind them. I was getting paid great. But I was, there was days I'd drive home, man, and I'm going, 
God, I hate music. I hate music. And everything I did today sucked. Was that like the... What year, was that like the Creed sort of like that area? Like yeah, like there's a drummer. Well, like not Johnston, just that, but like the it, drummer. He always he he was in a band. He was like it was like Rage Against the Corn Tones kind of like where it was like, you know, it yeah. was like this everyone. Wanted, yeah, well there was that, but it was also lots I mean of, Rage was the shit. I'm not saying any or Corn right, or sure, any yeah, of those yeah, guys, yeah, but yeah. like yeah, but there's lots of bands trying to do that when that weren't doing it, it was as like well. That weird like '90s doing rock really kind of thing, and there's tons of. She's going to be the next Avril Lavigne. There was a bunch of next Avril Lavines. There was a hundred right. of them. And I was making all their records. And mm-hmm. most of them got shelved, you know, or came right. out and did nothing. The power pop, pseudo punk chick, that stuff. I was doing so many of those. And I was just driving home going, God. And, and the, 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 the wannabe Creeds or the wannabe Nickelbacks. And I'm driving home going, oh, my God, kill me, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just playing, just doing a lot of average stuff right and it was driving me crazy and um but i was getting paid so well it was hard to say no to <laughs> right i mean i was it was like you know highway robbery man and it was like, in, in some weird like meta way like you're contributing to it too oh yeah you know like as you're driving home listening to this you're like fuck i'm kind of like i'm playing on some of these records yeah but i'm getting paid it's like it's kind of where the industry's going anyway so whether Man. it was you getting paid for it or not, right. somebody's gonna get paid for right. it. Right, sure, yeah. And um, well, it's also hard for me. It's well, a couple other things. There's times, and still this happens to me, even if it's an artist that I don't love. I've got relationships with enough producers, friends that make records. Where let's say you're a producer friend of mine, and, we, and you've hired me over the years for tons of stuff, and we're friends, and and you know I owe you a lot because you've really given me a ton of work, and you're producing this band over here that I don't really like that much. If you call me. I'm probably going to do it whether I like that band or not. Right. Not only are you going to pay me, but I've got a relationship with you and you'd like to be able to count on me and I like that you can count on me and I'm, I want to work with you more in the future. So yep. there's plenty of producer friends that hire me for stuff that, you know, that's, that uh, go, hey man, I'm doing so-and-so. Can you show up and do a couple songs? Right. Right? Sure, yeah, because I want to make your life easier because you're my friend and we have a relationship and I respect you that even if it's not my favorite band in the world or even if it's a band I don't really like, I'll probably show up and do it, especially if it's only a day or two. Right. It's not like I'm saying, okay, I'll tour with that band for a month. That'd be a different thing. And that's right. why it's easier, like as I say, to slut around behind closed doors and studios where I'm not having to go put on a fake smile and be on stage <laughs> going, this is great playing in this band. Or being in the video going, yeah, I'm pretending like I, lo- I love this. Yeah. That'd be tough for me to do. But I can go sneak in a studio for three hours or four hours or yep. you know, one afternoon and, and make some decent money and mm-hmm. then never have to deal with it again, ever. Right. You know what I mean? So that's pretty easy to do and it's hard for me to say no to that stuff. Especially So the producers that I have relationships with the, and or just the whole concept, hey, hey man, you want to make some money tomorrow playing playing drums? Come on up here. We'll pay you really good for an afternoon. You play right. the drums and be home at dinner time. It's yes. hard for me to say no to that unless I really hate it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. like, so so it's, that's where it's so people, you know, and then that's the difference between the people that, you know, I, I make, just make records with and the people I go out and spend a lot of time with and tour with. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. And put that sure. time in, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, so the, the the family thing, yeah, it's it's t- it's tough being being gone from, but you know, it's it's what I do, and uh, and I feel fortunate. You know, it, I'm skipping around like crazy now as, as I do. Um, I get you know I get emails from from people all the time, the younger players and stuff. Hey man, you know, how'd you do it, or how do you suggest I do it? And it's like there's no 
There's no one right way to do it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. It's like you see people all the time that aren't deserving of it, that things great happen for me and go, and it's just not fair. Just the universe is fucked up like that. Right. And there's other times people that are, are really deserving of it do get that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like it, it works both ways. And, um, you know, for me, it's, always, it's, it's, a, it's a combination. It's like, you know, there's talent and there's hard work and there's luck. Mm-hmm. I think you need all three. I don't think you'd be talented and not, you know, not be a hard worker. And it's, I don't know. Maybe there are talented people that don't work hard that end up being successful. But I think only to an extent. Yeah, the people that I, I know you that so have far. endured, you know, and have had, you know, a great long career are people that, that, that do good work and work hard at it. Right, right. And are lucky enough to have an audience for it. Mm-hmm. Or lucky enough that they have that A&R guy that, at that one show years ago that signed them. You know, I mean, or whatever. There's always that. that yeah, and if you're not prepared, component, then you, yeah. can get, you can be lucky. And you know, if right. you're not prepared, that and maybe even you got the call for Sting. Like even going into that, if you weren't prepared getting there, yeah, you know, like you would have got fired. Right. You yeah. know. So yeah, it's like exactly. it's it's. I, I agree with the hard work thing and not one path. And maybe, you know, maybe you're supposed to be on the road 250 days a year. You know, and maybe right. someone else is supposed to have a day gig and play on the weekends. Right. And maybe this other person sure. is supposed to stay home and do a couple recording sessions sure. and go out once in a great while. Right. You know, I think right. that, um, I, I think that we tend to, to, uh, I don't want to say fantasize, but we, uh, romanticize like what it's like being on the road sure. or what, like, you know, how, how it is. And then but once you're inside of it, you're like, maybe this isn't exactly what I want. Right, right, right. You know, there's a lot of people who end up going on the road, as you know, that are like, man, I hate being on the road. Yeah. Just like, I, I feel like you'd like being on the road, but. Yeah, I do. And just like anything, it's like, it ends up, it can end up being work where there's days when I go, God, I really wish I was at home right now. Right. But I still feel fortunate to do what I do. And I do like doing what I do. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, there's the old, you know, saying too, like, you know, it's not the, it's it's not the hour and a half on stage that you're getting paid for. It's the, you know, the 22 and a half yeah. hours off stage, you know, the, you know, with your thumb up your butts and traveling and missing home and, you know, jet lag and all that stuff. That's the tough part. And that is the tough part, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But then, you you know, it, it's all... You know, you compare it to other things. It's like, okay, how tough is it? It's like, well, fuck, it's just like anything. You got a mountain of candy bars, man. After you eat yeah. 20 Snickers bars, you're yeah, like, I just fuck, it doesn't sound good to you anymore. Right. You just can't do it. You right. know what I mean? I'm not saying I've got so much of a great thing. Poor me. I'm not saying no, poor me at no. All. I, it makes it makes sense. You know what I mean? Anything you do a lot ends up being, becoming normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's where there are times I still do pinch myself. Because I go, oh man, this is this is pretty amazing. Like, don't don't get to, you know, this isn't that normal. Even though it's normal to you, it's not normal. <laughs> you right. know, it's like you're this is pretty cool. Right. You know, so sure. I, 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 you got to remind yourself that, especially if you're going on day 180 of being away from your kids and FaceTiming them and they're crying, they wish you were home and, you know. And even, you know, even with Sting, you said you're like, you're flying in mm-hmm. private jets and all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, it's all, it's great. Yeah. It doesn't make you f- miss your family any less. Right. You know, right. you would probably you would probably miss them more and, you know, if man, you were like in a van and we, you were just yeah, driving. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah, but yeah, like, of course. <laughs> but no. it doesn't make it. It's like and playing those songs with that guy who's kicking ass on the vocals and playing bass every night. I'm sitting there going. Sometimes I go, okay, I miss my family stuff, but goddamn, I'm playing some of the greatest songs ever written with this legendary dude right. who's chosen me to play drums. And this is pretty great. And I was going to say, how often does that? Ha- where you like, how did I get like what? You know, do you still it's have cool. those? 
I try. I, I, I remind myself more often than not, you know, to keep myself in check and for my own, you know, state of mind and and yeah, because it it is special, you know. Right. And I do. I am lucky. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I did work my ass off, and I still continue to work my ass off. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not just yeah, I'm, you know, just lucky to be there. No, I've worked really hard, but yeah, I know plenty of dudes that work hard that, that don't get that opportunity. Don't get and that's where yeah. I try and remind myself, hey man, don't take this shit for granted. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny. It's like so I tell younger players like what it comes down to is depending on what you want to do. If you just want to make a li- let's say, hey, I'm a really good drummer and I want to make a living. Okay, well, if session work isn't happening for you, um, go try and find a touring gig if that's all you want to do. Now, if just playing behind artists so-and-so and and you really don't like their music and it starts driving you crazy, maybe don't do that. Because to be honest, there's things that I do musically. There's something I was working on here the other day, here in my studio, and I go, you know what? This song is the opposite of a hit. It's the I was trying to write a song for someone specifically and I was Mm -hmm. working on something. And I said, you know what? I'm closing this session out on my Pro Tools rig, and I'm gonna go so far off into fucking crazy person land. If I played this song, you'd be like, "What the <laughs> fuck are you doing?" It's, I, now I want to hear it. <laughs> it's nuts. But you know, what? I start listening to it, and it makes me laugh. I go, "This sounds like someone losing their fucking mind." <laughs> and I get off, and I go, "This is great." And, if I, and I was playing it for my friends the other night. I go, "What are you doing in your studio? This sounds nuts." I go, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." And, I, and it was the most satisfaction I've gotten. In, <laughs> In ages with music, and it, they're and like, "We're starting to get excited about nothing Josh. to do with taking <laughs> taking lessons or how good you are or how much time you spend on the fucking snare drum sound. It has nothing to do with any of that shit. It is pure art, manic craziness, and I I really enjoy doing it. It was so good for my soul. I got this is so fun. I, I want to make a whole record like this. And uh, so depending on what you want to do, if you just get off on doing music and you and it's really important to you. And, and it has nothing to do with writing a hit song or being in a touring band. It's like, go get a job that you can hopefully not lose your mind at and do music for fun every night just for your soul. Like right. yeah, I was telling someone the other day, I was telling my wife, I was like, God, it was so good for my soul the other day, just getting away from what I was supposed to be doing in the professional music world right. and getting really just primal and and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> but I, to- I mean, I talk about it on the podcast a lot that everybody like, has this like badge of honor thing where they're like, well, I all I do is play drums. And it's like, well, that's cool, but you're making like $150 a week. Yeah. Like you have to, and you, know what? Even you have to be serious about this and like, or you're going to play, like you said, all these gigs that you don't even feel like playing just so you can say, no, I just play drums every day for a right. living. It's like, let's go get a job. Yeah. Let the, and let the job pay for your gear. Let right. it pay for your studio. You can build like right, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I know some of the greatest musicians in the world who have day gigs. Yeah, like high level, like super amazing players. They're better off. <laughs> yeah, they may be. You know what I mean? Like you know, yeah. having that steady gig. You know, it's uh-huh. like you know, and and you know, the, yeah, the the is the funny thing about the freelance thing too. Probably easy for me to say, right? The guy that's going to play the Grammys this weekend was staying. But it's like, it's true. It's like there's times, just for anybody, I don't care how successful you are, there's times when your you know, phone rings less than other times. And it can be, sc- I remember reading an article with John Goodman, mm-hmm. right? Awesome and successful actor. And I, I was just bored enough on a plane ride a couple years ago. He was on the cover of like American Way, the American Airlines magazine. I'm, I've exhausted everything in my iPad <laughs> and whatever. And I'm like, you know, I'm flipping through it. And he goes, yeah, this is the part where, you know, 
you know, I just wrapped a movie. There's the beginning of the article. He goes, I just wrapped a movie last week. And, you know, I had the weekend off and Monday came around and the phone's not ringing. I'm scared to death. And I'm thinking, okay, just not, it's not just me. And if I told anybody else that I go through that fear sometimes, it happens less to me now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm more at peace with if the phone doesn't ring for a little bit, I'm fine. I thought the phone's going to ring again. Right. I'm not worried about it. So I'm not going to freak out. It's not ringing today or tomorrow. Right. Or it didn't ring yesterday. I'm not going to freak out. Right. Because it can ring. And that's that's the exciting and fun part for me because things have always worked out in that way. And I do always end up being busy. But there's times that it happens fewer than you think. But when the, when the really when the exciting phone call comes through, it's still exciting. It's still exciting. Because it isn't. The exciting phone call isn't happening every single day. Right. You know? So th- it, knowing that it could happen in the next hour mm-hmm. is really cool. And, and I'm the, man, those waves are crazy. Like, I mean, even even with me, like, if, you know, for my business, and I'm like emailing all these people. I'm con- trying to connect with everybody, right? And then it's like, nobody emails you back. Nobody returns your phone call. Nothing, right? Yeah. And then you're like, I, I suck. I'm the worst. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. My yeah. business is going to fail. All this other stuff. And then it's like five days later, then like, all the emails come back, you know, yeah. like, hey, sorry, you know, yeah, and everybody's like, oh, Then the phone starts ringing again, and you're like, yeah. oh, and then next week, it like, it'll happen again. You're like, why right. do you freak out yeah. about this shit? Yeah. You know, but it's human. I mean, it's, I guess it's a, it's a human nature thing yeah. to like fear that it's not going to, that the phone calls are going to stop or whatever it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the John Goodman thing, to me, proved it. I'm going, yeah, and oh you're my like, God. And this is John Goodman. Yeah, yeah what's he worried about, man? Right. And right. anybody could, they, they could say the same about, Josh Reese, what's he worried about? And I'm just like, I, I do. You're human. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people don't like to admit it, though. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? No, I got everything all figured out all the time. And it's like, I just, it's not worth, like, you know, I always complain about not having any time to be in my studio ever. I, and the whole time I'm too busy to be back here working on stuff I want to be working on because I'm out in the real world being hired constantly to do stuff. Right. But I'm constantly bummed out that I don't get time to work back here. And then if I get time to work back here, I'll be back here and I'm going, oh my God, why am I, why am I not out there working? Yeah. So when I do have, I try and enjoy it more when it happens now than when, a couple years ago because like I said, I know I'm still going to work. Is that is that like a personal comparison game, or do you do you look at other people and comp- like, oh, they're out there doing? I should be doing this thing too, or are you are you just thinking like the phone, for me like the phone needs to be ringing? I was I always feel like the phone needs to be ringing. Right. Are you? But are you? Like do you, are you ever like comparing yourself to what other people are doing? Do you ever play that game? Yeah, uh, not as much as I used to. I don't yeah. think not as much because you know I've really gotten to the point too where it's like I I feel like. Uh, I just see a lot of people that are constantly. I've got friends that are loaded that work seven days a week, seven and there's and they just work. I mean, not even in the music world. It's just like right. other things, whether it's you know real estate or you know a friend of mine that's like a clothing designer guy that constantly working, constantly working, constantly working, and is loaded, fucking loaded, and constantly working and won't let it. I'm like, dude, what if you went through the windshield of your car tomorrow? You know what I mean? Like, Damn. so you saved all this money, you know, and. You know, I I get you it. Got to go enjoy your shit, man. Yeah, you know I mean, mean, how many and, people and, have boatloads of money and are unhappy? You tons, know? Just like tons of money, and just like most of them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, more money they know what to do with. Complain they don't that they don't never see their kids. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, don't work as yeah. much. You, yeah, you you you're loaded. What yeah. do you need? Or they're just miserable, right? You know, and it's like, sure, you gotta figure something out. Yeah, put your job and you know, go on a retreat or something. Take all that money and do something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? And for you know, and also you know. 
it's kind of the grass is always greener too. Like I'll, you know, I I was gonna mention earlier, like I'll be on tour and I'll be missing the hell out of my kids. God, mm-hmm. I should be home. I gotta be home and be a parent. This, I get home and like after like three days, I'm like, I gotta get the hell out of here. Yeah, I gotta get back on tour, man. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. when do we leave? Not for not for three weeks till Saturday. Oh my god, I what am I gonna do? Weeks at home, right? Then I go home and after four days, I'm like, oh my god, I miss my family. I'm yep. home, my kids, and so I'm happy to right now, like. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of like one-off things. I'm in and out of town, and but trying to trying to stay home right now. And I'm working here in my studio here. I'm doing some sessions next well, in a couple of weeks up in LA. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying hanging out with my kids. Really, it's awesome. You know what I mean? I really am not freaking out about. Right. I've spent so many years. I'm not retired in any you know fashion. But it's like I, I feel like I'm constantly. There was time, I was reminded of my wife the other day, there was a time a couple years ago, five, six years ago, I remember two times almost having full-blown like panic attacks. One was on La Cienega Boulevard and because I was juggling a million things. I was juggling right. a million things and I hadn't eaten all day and I'd just done this, I'd just done two sessions, I was going to the airport because I had to fly this thing, but if I missed that flight, I'm totally fucked. And Everything pissed yeah. at me because I didn't fly in today because I chose to stay home and do another session and I'm freaking out and I'm, I remember like calling my wife on the phone and going, like literally about to have a panic attack. And right. going, you gotta just tell me that everything's okay. You gotta t- I pulled the car over and she's like, pull the car over, roll down your windows. I'm going, what the fuck am I doing this to myself for? Yeah. And then I go, people always go, Josh, how do you do all these say? How do you do all this work? I don't know how you get it all done. You seem to be everywhere. I was like, yeah. And then sometimes you're about to, literally about to lose your fucking mind. Right. And it's not worth it, man. No. You know what I mean? It's really not. So it's like I try and if, if I'm not working a little bit, I, I kind of go, this is great. This is great that I'm home today. This is great that I'm not working tomorrow. It's like, yeah. it's fantastic, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that makes oddly sense. enough, I am working tomorrow. Right. But today I'm not. <laughs> right. You know, it's like... Which, this is kind of working. So. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's like, you know, but I, I do, I get to go pick up my kids in a minute. Right. You know, I'll come right. home. And I've got a little bit of work to do in my studio this afternoon for somebody. But, you know, I'm not going to be working all day and night. Right. And I'm not going to be, you know, I'll be at home for dinner and I get to pick them up and I get to hang out watching TV with them tonight. Yeah, you know? perfect. So, yeah, and I also don't want to regret that in seven, eight years when they're all grown up. You know, I mean, my, I've got I've got four kids. My oldest is almost 17 and my youngest is seven. And the 17, almost 17-year-old, it was like yesterday that he was seven, man, and he's yeah. like, you know, taller than me now. So for me to look at my youngest and go, I'm going to blink and she's going to be, you know, 17, 18, 17 and, and not wanting to hang around with us anymore. Like, this is pretty wild. Then I'm going to have all, all the time in the world again. You know right. what I mean? But for now, it's like, you know, I would say it's like all I'm doing right now is drumming and daddying. And it's like I I feel like I just do enough music, which seems to need to be a lot to raise a family of six in Southern California in 2018. But they, I got to go. I, I got to go work <laughs> to support everybody. Right. But the, all I'm doing is the balance between them and mm-hmm. you know doing music, being a parent. That, that's it for me right now. Sure, you know, sure. So, I love it. Yeah. All right, rapid fire, and then I'm gonna let you go. Oh God, I'm always uh, proud of these. Do you love or hate P.F. Chang's? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> it's still kind of a mystery to me. You know, I love it, but you know what else I love? I love McDonald's. You know, I, I'm not on. I'm not on the impression that it's the fine dining. People go, does he really think it's that great? Like, yeah, I know it's right. not fine dining, but I love Taco Bell. Fair enough. You know what I mean? So there you go. All right. Um, what's the What's the one like? Can't the one candy bar or like the one thing on the mini bar that you can't stay away from? 
peanut M&Ms. Peanut M&Ms. There's, there's rarely the, reasons video, peanut butter cups. The, the one of the, I mean, one of the many Dude, videos. so weird. Where, I know. I just fucking hilarious. But when the guy comes <laughs> and you're like, peanut M&Ms right next to the, I'm like, come you're on, like, you what are you kidding me, man? Get this shit out of here. Like, what are you, what, come on. It's like, it's a conspiracy. My wife, so, my wife's like, you're crazy. These people probably think you're nuts. Or I think they're hilarious. So they're don't stop doing Uh uh, so peanut M&M's. Uh, the third one was... <laughs> I'm glad it's this stuff and not... What do you think about someone's like a drummer or an artist? I used oh, to no, no, no. Would you rather be considered the greatest drummer in the world or the greatest uh, bathroom food photographer, like Ansel Adams style? I, I will say Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo and, and an amazing artist in his own right. He said to me, and without... This wasn't a slag to... I, I don't think it was a slag. I think from, coming from him and how what a weirdo he is, it was a great compliment. We talked about those, those bathroom. I think I'm going to do a book, actually. I'm going to do a book with, what, with, how did that with only the bathroom, only the airplane bathroom food pics. And he's, and Mark's like, Mark Mothers Mark goes, you know, man, th- those, those photos, the series of photos you've done that I've seen, he goes, it's the, it's the best thing you've ever done. That's the best thing you've ever done. <laughs> and I'm, So some people go, hey, what about my drumming? But I know what he means. I mean, he's such a weird conceptual right. nut job anyways himself. How the hell did that whole... You know, I don't know how the first one happened, but I thought it was funny. And then I posted it or showed it to somebody. And they're like, what are you doing eating in there? I'm like, I'm not really eating in there. Come on. I'm right. just taking the phone. But, um, and the one that, there was like a drum in there. And I'm that like, was the funniest one. I'm I was like, going, how the fuck? Like, what are you doing? Like, pulls it over. I was going to South America, and I had a 10-inch tom made for this kit that I was using. My kit was already down in South America. And so I just, and I didn't even have a case for it. I had it like in a shopping bag, like a Trader Joe's bag, just a bag. And I carried it on, the 10-inch DW Tom. And it's sitting in the thing, but it's always like people go, what's everyone doing when you're walking with all the food? You know, like, I can seal it in a way where I'm not like drawing too much attention to myself. <laughs> right. This was like middle of the night flight. Everyone's asleep. I stand up and go, everyone's asleep. Right, so you're I take like, that my phone. This. It's in the dark. Everyone's got the blankets over them. And, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. 4 a.m., you know, and I snuck in and put the top up there and took the photo and put it in the bag and came back, you know. <laughs> but, but I do want to make, I was going to do a photography, I'm, I'm probably going to do a different photography book, but I've been wanting to do like a, I was, I've got a bunch of things that don't have anything to do with drums that I want to do creatively that I want to make the time to do. Um, but one of them is, I think I am going to do like a, a book. I was going to do a book and a calendar of only the, the bathroom, the, the airplane bathroom love food it. pictures, you know. I love so. it. Good so, deal. so keep your eyes open out there, everybody. It's coming out. Yeah, the airplane bathroom book. I like it. And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, just follow Josh on Instagram. He does all these. And uh, I think that was the last. And can we, we got to shoot a video. I want, I want you to do a video for me okay. yeah. for, uh, for, uh, for the podcast. But Let's we'll do it. put that out. Um, but that's it. Cool. We got to get wanna... the snow monster involved in the video. <laughs> yeah. And maybe my poodles. All right. It's, it's, it's go time. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Appreciate right on, it. Nick. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm glad it happened. There you have it, the one and only Josh Freeze. You can find the show notes at drummersresource.com forward slash session 373. If you dig the podcast, if you get value from it, if you like listening to it, two favors I ask. One, you leave a rating on iTunes and just a rating and review. It takes about a minute and that helps it show up higher in the search results. Two, share it. If you could share it with your friends, share it on social media, comment and share on Instagram and on Twitter, all that kind of stuff. That just helps more people know about it and it's free for you to do. So that's the best way that you can help. A lot of people ask me how they can help. That is the best way. Just spread the word, get the word out, let people know that this podcast exists. I appreciate you for that. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.